right, it's the uh, Chance of Gaming podcast, episode 46. We do episode 46 after I turn 44, and with me always is Richard and Roy. Hey, good evening, everyone. This is Rich. Hey, this is Roy from uh, Holland, Michigan, Not where Cal- it was pretty nice today. Beautiful, warm Holland, Michigan. Oh, yeah, you betcha. It was all right. I dug it. It won't stop raining in Mississippi. It won't. It's it's not. It's Yeah. I don't know if it's monsoon. Actually, uh, the rainy season doesn't start to March, so we're drowning here. I don't know what's going on. Adam, I've been reading a book on the Civil War about the, the Atlanta campaign, and I'm learning more about Mississippi than I ever thought I was going to know. There's <laughs> places in Mississippi I didn't know existed. There was I was reading the book, and they, and they were talking about how this Confederate army withdrew to West Point. I'm like, what are they doing way up there? Until I realized that there's apparently a West Point, Mississippi as well. Yep. There there's, a, there's a West Point, <laughs> Iowa, too. Yeah. Which, uh, it was, that was my, when I lived in Iowa, that was my, uh, uh, where my, my post office was. And at West Point, Iowa was, it was mostly, it was about seven churches and, and six bars. It was a very Catholic <laughs> town. Wow. Any other interesting, uh, cities that you thought of? Well, there's some other ones that I sort of knew where they were that they talk about. They talk about Corinth and, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's it? Is it Meridian? Is that the name? Oh yeah, yeah. Apparently, there's a big railroad depot that sh- the depot there that Sherman burned down. Yeah. Do you guys still? Do you guys still hate Sherman down there? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's. I don't think we're as bad as like, uh, you know, probably Atlanta or whatever. Yeah. But <laughs> now the weird thing is, is like when I did a bunch of interviews for this uh, Civil War documentary, work work did. Um, I. I we'd ask the guys about Sherman and stuff like that. And they're like, well, what people don't talk about is like after the civil war, they invited him to come back and he did. And they asked him like, okay, well, how can we fix everything and make things better and blah, blah, blah. So he was kind of instrumental in the reconstruction down there. So just interesting. Yeah. He was an interesting guy. So yeah, it's a book about the Atlanta campaign, but obviously that sort of started as Sherman was coming through Mississippi. So you're in there now. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Meridian, Mississippi, uh, famous uh, for an episode of X Files. As far as I know, that's the only <laughs> the only one they came they came to Mississippi, and it has like these mountains in the background. We're like, there's no mountains anywhere. The mountains of Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, anywhere near there. And then um, the other thing was, you familiar with the uh, the TV series Hell on Wheels? No, that's like a AMC show or something, right? Right. I don't think it's okay. I don't think it's on anymore, but it did run for like I don't know like six or seven seasons. But it it's like this whole story of revenge and like the post Civil War West. Anyway, the whole thing, the whole premise of it starts out in Meridian, Mississippi. It's this guy who uh, it's like these Confederate deserters or something uh, killed his family in meridian and so that sets him off on this trail of revenge as he's hunting them down over the the west so yeah anyway it the like the first line of the series is have you ever been to meridian mississippi and i was like well (laughs) yes i have many times currently one of my employees comes from there so anyway so well hey i was uh thinking today about um so I went to years and years ago. I went to Goodwill and I found a copy of Euro Rails. Yeah, it's uh, so Empire Builder and Euro Rails is kind of the European version of that. So I was curious if you guys had found any 
Like, what was your best Goodwill finds that you ever found? So I found a copy of Eurorails, and I found a copy of Settlers at a thrift store. Did you find any gems? I have never, ever found a good game at Goodwill, and I go a lot because I buy, I buy a lot of shirts at Goodwill just because shirts are, you know, usually, you know, they're, they're pretty good condition. Um, so I go in Goodwill a lot, and I, I, I look for games all the time. I have never, ever found anything worth picking up. I see these people that are like, oh, I just picked up a shrink-wrapped ASL for $5. <laughs> no, never found anything. <laughs> okay. Um, I've actually found some, yeah, I've had pretty good luck. Uh, I found a lot of the old Avalon Hill, uh, what was it, like Tactics, and, uh, they had, did a Roman one, those big board games that, um, they were kind of like, um, Axis and Ally size, the map was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I found several of those. Uh, for the most part, I don't really see anything. I swear, um... I, it's always uh, Trivial Pursuit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's always, always uh, Trivial Pursuit. And, you know, honestly, occasionally I see modern board games in there. And mm-hmm. since I don't really have an interest, like, in Euro games and stuff like that, I just kind of just pass them, pass them by. But, you know, I'll recognize some of them. You see Balderdash pretty often, too. Yes. Yeah, I think yep. sometimes they get lots of new games that they'll sell. I think oh. I think it also may be uh, stuff like yeah like you know the the store whoever cool mini or not you know whatever they didn't sell these mm-hmm. and so they you know they'll donate them where they can get a tax break and then that way they you know it doesn't devalue their whatever you know so I don't know hey right. yeah that's so yeah that was just my two gems and I was curious if you guys had had found any. No, it's all trivial pursuit all the time nowadays. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Um, but yeah, just yeah, and uh, strangely enough, you're you're correct. Balderdash. I don't that's yeah. abs- I don't think I've ever played it, but yeah, I see that there a good bit. See, and I enjoy that game because it's it's a game for people with big vocabularies. So it's basically you you have some kind of uh, word that nobody's ever heard of, and you make up a definition for it, and you try to bluff the other players. <laughs> so try to figure out if that's a real um, uh, like a real word uh, yeah. word or something. Yep. Hmm. So, like, I remember one time the one of the words was incubus. I'm like, I know what that is. Yeah, because I played D&D. I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I remember the picture from when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and probably had some dreams over that, too. The feel one, right? Yeah. Uh, the, succubus see, incubus is the female version. Yeah, succubus uh, is the male version. Yeah, I remember the picture of the succubus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that reminds me, I do occasionally find role-playing stuff. Occasionally. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I will, um, uh, find, uh, some D&D stuff sometimes, and Traveler has been the other one, uh, mm-hmm. I, I found, and that's been about it. So, moving on, what is our next thing? Oh, I don't know. Ah, what are we doing? I, well, so here's another thing I was thinking about. So up here in Michigan, we have um, uh, Verner's Ginger Soda, which you guys have probably never tried ginger uh, Verner's before, have you? No, we've had it. Um, we have family from up there. And oh, okay. It's funny. My, my in-laws actually pick it up from time to time, and they'll bring it back, and all the all of like my kids and my nieces and nephews, all the cousins and all my, all my in-laws' grandkids – 
they all love this stuff. I mean, okay. it's just like it's a treat for them because they never get it. Yeah. But my, my son-in-law is from Michigan. And when he like the first time he came over and they were all going crazy about Verner's and everything, he's like, that's what we drink when we get sick. So it just makes me <laughs> think of getting sick. <laughs> it's it's a good mixer, too. I've drank it with whiskey before. It's <laughs> um, so the thing about Verner's is when you crack it open, you you immediately like like it sucks all the oxygen out of your body. So, <laughs> so people will like open it up. They'll take a smell of it and then they'll immediately go <laughs> because like it. It has his uh, the 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 CO2 has has invaded your body to such an extent that you can't breathe anymore. So anyway, Verner's is awesome. Yeah, kids love it, except for Matt because he always reminds them of getting sick. <laughs> Ginger soda. Okay. Yes. I think uh, yeah, I've seen this, but um, it's not something I see commonly down here at all. Uh, I think I've seen it in, in an odd grocery store or whatever. I think what's weird is we have a lot of discount grocery stores like Save-A-Lot or whatever that mm-hmm. get, like, weird stuff that's almost, you know, apparently it was popular in Michigan, but there's it's about to expire, so they oh, ship, yep. it, ship it down to Mississippi to see if anybody will buy it for a month. <laughs> yeah, we get stuff like that, and so I think that's kind of, like, where I've seen it. Because this stuff, like, literally, like, what is this? I've never seen this before. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Weird products from around the world. Yeah, or and there's no rhyme or reason. It's like, well, I think this is a beer, so you know, I put it in the beer thing, and I'm like, no, this is soda. What the hell is this? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's bizarre. So anyway, stuff. that's just some of the few things I was thinking about today. I, you know, we get Jones soda. Uh, yep. I think is about like the only big thing down there, down here. Yeah. Um, and of They're course, famous for making weird tasting stuff, like around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Right, they'll do like the turkey soda and stuff like that. And then they'll have uh, there's a a Kroger like knockoff Jones soda that's just good. The only problem is like if you drink it, you're gonna get cavities. So just prepare <laughs> yourself, you know, because it's made with real sugar and it dissolves your teeth instantly. And yeah, so anyway, Richard, what have you been playing? I've been playing some good war games lately. I played a game of Red Storm today, which is funny because I think. Was it a couple recordings ago? We had to postpone our, our recording because my Red Storm game went long. Uh, I did not have that problem today because uh, I, the, my friend that I played with, he he completely wiped me off the map. All of my planes were were surface air missile magnets. They all got hit. They all jettisoned their bombs. I we didn't even finish the scenario because there was no chance that I was going to knock out a single target of his. But even so, man, I love that game. It is just so good. Red Storm. I've talked about it before. It's a game where you have to plan your air raids. It takes place in a hypothetical, uh, you know, NATO versus Warsaw Pact Germany. NATO versus Warsaw Pact war, air war in Germany in 1987. And it's just so, so good. I mean, I can't get enough of the game. So Red Storm, I played that today. And uh, my, my Thursday night group, we started up a new game. We've been, we had some delays and some other stuff. We we finished playing Civil War several weeks ago, and we talked about picking up another one, starting to play something else. We decided to play Pericles, uh, which is a Mark Herman game uh, about the Peloponnesian Wars. It's, I'll be honest, when they first suggested it, I was not, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was going to play it. It's not like I was going to balk or anything, but it's like, ah, it doesn't really seem my, like that much fun. Um, partially because we played Churchill um, 
sometime last year, I don't remember, which is also a Mark Herman game, and there are similarities. But Churchill, I just didn't think was that interesting at all. Churchill is about uh, the it's about Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin basically negotiating over who's going to be in power after World War II is over. And World War II just kind of takes place in the background. But it was just never that interesting. Um, Pericles, on the other hand, I think is really interesting, partially because it has an interesting two versus two uh, mechanic to it, where there's two sides. There's the Athenians and the Spartans. And then, uh, so you start off at the beginning of each turn, the Athenians kind of pair off together and they decide basically what they're going to do the rest of the turn, whether they're going to go for military issues or diplomatic issues or whatever. Uh, And the Spartans do the same thing. And then once they decide on their issues, the Athenians and the Spartans then go into the theater and fight the war against each other. So it's, I think it's interesting because whichever side wins the war, one of those two players will be the winner of the game. So even if you have like the highest score of all four players, if your side loses the war, you can't win. You have to win the war and have the highest honor of any other player in the game. So we played just a couple turns uh, just to kind of get used to it. And I think we're going to have to take a couple weeks off with people out of town and stuff. But we're going to go back in and play the full campaign of that one pretty soon. So I, I really liked it. I liked it a whole lot more than I thought I would, which is always a pleasant surprise if you're going to put several weeks into something. So I think that um, your format of having a table kind of set aside with a game dedicated and set up there, yes. I think I want to tr- start doing that with my Friday game night. Yeah. Maybe with uh, maybe with Twilight Imperium, just to have it set up, and we'll like every Friday night we'll play a turn. That'd be an interesting one to do that way. Yeah. I've only ever played Twilight Imperium in a, a single long day. But, yeah, okay. I mean, I could see. Because you get to definite break points where, you know, you play a turn and you could you de- could come back to that the next mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Which, and there, there are people in our uh, game group that are not interested in in uh, wargaming or, you know, that, that conflict, you know, yeah. player versus player kind of game. Right. So, like, we could, we could go and play one turn and then come back and play, you know, some other sort of game. Yeah. So I think I might look into doing that. Yeah, I'd love to hear how it goes. Okay. And then I also played Silver Bayonet, uh, which is a, a Vietnam game that plays, takes place in the, the Yadrang Valley of Vietnam. It was actually, historically, it was uh, a, a series of battles that just took place really over a, a week or so was the main part of them, um, where basically the, the, the Vietnamese sort of, they, they ambushed the South Vietnamese to draw the U.S. into a trap. They, they basically knew if we, if, we Viet, if we ambush the South Vietnamese army, the U.S. is going to send in forces to relieve them, and then we can ambush them too. And it was, it was terrible. I mean, it was just a terrible, terrible battle that took place over a couple battlefields within just a few days of each other. But there was a whole campaign that was longer than that. Um, and it was one of those... It was one of the first times in Vietnam where we really, really had a lot of casualties. And around that time, I guess it was McNamara decided that we were going to, as long as we were killing more of them than they were killing of us, we could we could say that we won the battle. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, terrible time in, in history as far as that. But it's, it's one of the few games I know that does hidden movement of uh, 
of one side anyway, really well. Um, basically, you get hidden movement markers that you move around the map, and the other player can see that there's something there, but he has no idea what's actually under it. So, you know, so are, you may... are some of them blank? Yes. Yeah, okay. most of them are, in fact. So, And you can have maybe 20 or 30 markers on the map, and you've only got maybe five or six of them that actually have something Oh, wow. It. So, you know, you can send helicopters over, you can send patrols out, you can do different things to, to try to find where the armies actually are so that you can fight them. Um, but you also run into danger of getting ambushed as well. Basically, if you if you send uh, a, a unit out and they just sort of walk past one of those hidden markers and there actually is someone under there, mm-hmm. they're going to get hit hard. They're going to get ambushed immediately. Um, I like the game a lot. There's a, a couple little things I'm not sure I like about it. The, the attack coordination part of it um, seems to be pretty punishing. Basically, if you're if you're not the U.S., for the most part. If the U.S., if they send like a single company or battalion, I can't remember, together on all the same unit, they don't have to roll for coordination. But like say you're sending some some VC or some North Vietnamese guys and you're trying to do a big coordinated attack and they fail their coordination roll, basically the, the defending player is just going to pick one unit from that group and force that unit to attack all by themselves, which can be pretty punishing. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I don't know. I, I I wish that was a little bit different, but other than that, I, I really like the game a lot. I, I was playing with the, the solitaire rules, which are they're beta rules, so they're still sort of being worked on. They might come out in the... I wonder if they'll come out in the next edition or maybe in a C3i or something. I'm not sure. Um, but they're, they're good rules. They're, they're not as good as playing against another person, but, you know, solitaire rules never, never are. Hmm. And then the game I've got on my table right now is called Atlanta is Ours. I think I mentioned this before. It's it's an MMP game. It's one of the games in the series, Great Campaigns of the American Civil War. Oh, yeah. Uh, this this is the one that I was reading the book to go with. I like to I like to read a book to go with a game. Um, and I'm just now learning it, but it looks pretty good. It's interesting. It's got um, an interesting activation system where, uh, for one, you don't know who's going to activate next. You don't know... You're going to have a die roll off each time, and if the other guy beats you on the die roll, he'll get to activate. Now, maybe he doesn't want to, and he'll pass to you, and you'll get to go, but every time anyone does anything, they gain fatigue, which is pretty cool. So you can push your guys to do more and more, but they're going to get more and more tired as they go. So um, it's an interesting system. I haven't quite seen anything like that before. So. That one's called Atlanta is Ours, and I'm still learning that one, but I like it so far. All right, and Richard wants <clears throat> Richard Roy wants you to sell him on Falling Sky. Now, if I remember correctly, that's the Gaelic Revolt. That's the coin game, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a copy in the my favorite uh, coin game. Is it? All right. Yes. There's a copy in the uh, consigned game section at my game store, and I'm I'm eyeballing it. I keep looking at it. Yeah. So I'll sell you on it right now. Okay. Right. It is the all of the coin games are asymmetrical, so everyone has slightly different abilities, slightly different uh, victory conditions. Um, Falling Sky, in my opinion, is the best four-player uh, coin game. Mm-hmm. Now, there's okay. there are others. There's a there's a two-player that's very good. Uh, Fire in the Lake is very good, but I like playing that one two versus two instead of every man for himself. But mm-hmm. the thing I like so much about Falling Sky is that all of the factions feel very different. 
So the Romans have this incredibly strong army, but they have to protect it. So they kind of have to keep it together as a big sort of kill stack. Um, and they move it around, just pounding things into submission. And when you're playing the Romans, it's like playing whack-a-mole. But hmm. as you move in, everyone else will just kind of run away from you and you feel like you wasted your turn. But that's what you got to do. But if you spread out your army, they become vulnerable. And then the Arverni, the, the green guys, their goal is just to kill Romans. And they do it in a couple ways. One, they wait for the Romans to finally concentrate their forces. And then they go in and they just devastate the entire land and starve them out, which is fun. Or they can try to pick them off piecemeal if the Romans break up their forces. Uh, the Adui, which are my favorite ones to play, they're the blue guys. Their job is just to make friends with everyone. They, they just sit in the background and they don't threaten anyone and they try to stay off everyone's radar. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, crap, the Adui just won because everyone is allied with them. <laughs> uh, and they make tons of money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then finally, the, the Belgians, the guys up north, um, basically they just want to control their area and expand into Great Britain as well. Um, they're probably the simplest one to play, uh, but the others, I mean, they're different than the other three, but the Belgians are probably the same. I think they're called the Belgic, actually. Um, but I just, I love how different all four factions are. Um, to me, and I think it's an interesting time period. Uh, it's an Ancients game, which sometimes I go for Ancients, sometimes I don't. But that mm -hmm. period of time, you know, 53 BC, I think it is, where Caesar is first coming to power is is really interesting. So how would you compare this to Root? Similar? I mean, they have similarities and they're both in that they're both uh, they're both asymmetrical. Um I mean, I, I guess the biggest difference would be would be theme and historicity. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. I, I, there's probably I don't know how many hardcore history war gamers we have here that are going to say, well, Falling Sky is not historical. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I get that. It's not a historical simulation, but every game is a simulation to one degree or another. It just depends on what they want to simulate. And I think this one does a good job of simulating the fact that the Romans were just kind of playing whack-a-mole while trying to pacify the tribes at the same time. Whereas Root, obviously, is just 100% fantasy and doesn't try to do any sort of historical or realistic mm -hmm. thing at all. The mechanics um, are, are similar in that they're both asymmetrical. So. Okay. Yeah. that's. I guess that's where I was leading with it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's... Root, it's, it's is probably easier to run away with sometimes, although both games, and a lot of games are like this, are going to have some degree of, of jump on the leader. You know, if somebody is, is starting to get out to the lead, everyone else needs to, I mean, they should be teaming up against them. You know, if you've got a vendetta against some other faction, but a third faction is running away with it, you need to stop fighting with them and, and deal with the leader, otherwise you're going to lose the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, after all, a game, so there is a point system and a winner. Okay. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I keep eyeballing it. It's uh, $55. Is yeah. that a good price? Um, it's not a great price. I don't know what it goes for a miniature market right now, but I mean, okay. I, I would even check Board Game Geek. I would bet on Board Game Geek Market. You could probably find it for 40 or so, but okay. then you're probably going to pay 15 for shipping, so mm -hmm. it works the same. Hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. 
Let, let us see right now. Looks like, oh, um, right now on, ah, oh shit, I hate that. Don't you hate it when you see it, like, on, it says Amazon, $49.99. Sure <laughs> enough, you click on it, and yes, it is $49.99. <laughs> However, it's $14.50 shipping. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Amazon has got it for sixty six ninety five. Yeah, I don't think anybody has it. Uh, oh wait, it is on the Geek Market for forty five dollars. Hmm. You know right. that, that'd be but, plus yeah plus shipping. Yeah, but again, you're gonna pay fifteen for shipping. So yeah. Now, Roy, in in that situation, can you make offers on that consignment stuff? I don't know. I I hmm, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, that's they have a lot of consignment things, and um, they they discount things as things go along, but. Um, Sorry about my phone making no, noises. You're fine. Um, That's all right. I uh, thought it was mine. So. Oh. <laughs> I got ten upvotes on Reddit. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, so, um, God, what the hell was I saying? Um, yeah. So, I don't know if you can, you know, make offers on it. So, I, I think uh, when people bring stuff in for consignment, a lot of times people will just say, price it at what you think it'll sell for. And so when you sell something, you get basically you get store credit um, on you know whatever you buy or whatever you yeah. sell. So. Yeah, I've got a friend that he's constantly putting stuff up for sale at, at our our local gaming store. In fact, there's been a couple times that I came very close to buying something that he had for sale there. <laughs> he's mm. like, oh yeah, that's mine. You should have bought it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I wish our ours would do that. You know. Um, yeah. Eh. That they don't, and I, you know, at the very least, like, do I know some shops do like a flea market day? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, where say you have to pay back 10% of your sales for the day back to the store, or, you know, whatever, whatever they do. But yeah, uh, I wish we did something like that. It'd be yeah. helpful think, for me it, to clean out stuff. It's, it's also a good way for you to get new games and basically rent them. See if you like them, and if you don't like them, you can sell them for almost as much. And, if you think, well, it was worth 10 bucks for me to try this, I didn't get as much as I paid for it, but sometimes he gets more than he paid for it if something is, you know, some Kickstarter that was limited release or something. Hmm. hmm. All right. Well, Roy, what have you been playing? So, let's see. I've been, I have four games listed here. Uh, I'm going to start with Orbis, which is a, it's very similar to uh, Splendor, or, so it's a, I don't know. It's you have a tableau of nine tiles. Basically, you're building a little world, um, and so um, based on what you take, you to okay. Nah, sorry. Let me start again. You have a tableau of nine tiles, and you put you decide I'm going to take this tile. You have to put a cube that matches that color on every adjacent tile. So some tiles are going to get more and more and more cubes on it. Uh, and so then when somebody takes that tile, then they collect those cubes. So in that uh, regard, it's like the game uh, Century Spice Road, which I enjoy. Um, but so Orbis, you're building up various little lands. So you can build up uh, the volcano tile. You can build up the temple tile. You can build up the water tile. And each one does something a little bit different based on where you place it. And so you're going to place it in a... Um, a, a triangular shapes with five on the bottom, four, three, two, one. Your one tile is your god, so that's your that's a bonus tile that would give you uh, a bump for 
if you have the most forests, you know, you have the, the, the green goddess tile. That'll give you a bump for the most forest. So as you're playing along, you can say, okay, well, I'm I'm going to kind of angle towards that tile, so I'm going to start collecting forests. Um, so it's a um, it's a cube collection and tile collection game, and then in your in your triangle, you can only put um, a tile on top of another tile if it matches one of the two tiles that it touches. Uh, so that's Orbis. Uh, and then I played and. I looked all over the place for a link to Ticket to Ride Africa. I think it's an older version of Ticket to Ride. Um, but essentially, it's Ticket to Ride Africa. I mean, there's nothing, there's no frills there with it. Um, and it's uh, it was the last playthrough before my friend Dana consigns it. So, uh, yeah. I so is, Ticket this a, is this just a map collection for Ticket to Ride, or is it an actual version? It's, well, I'm, I don't follow what you mean. Because there are there are versions of Ticket to Ride, I know, and then there are some that I think they sold just like map add-ons as well. Oh Does no, this. Know? So yeah, this is the the talking about the, like the thinner box that has just a map and the destination tickets. Yeah, it's like that. Oh okay, so so it's yeah, not a full-on game. And map add-on. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it plays. Um, the there's some fairies in there, so some ticket to rides have the fairy um, rule where you have to like if you and this was to go to Madagascar. If you're going to go to Madagascar, you have to play two train or two locomotive tickets plus uh, some you know I think it was four other uh, train cards. Um, and uh, there's the region cards so that if you play a region card along with a ticket or along with a route, then it doubles it. Um, so that's Ticket to Ride Africa. It's it's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of your run-of-the-mill Ticket to Ride game. So then I played a game called Ecos, which we borrowed from our game library. Uh, and this is a, you're building a map. So it reminds me a little bit of Carcassonne, wherein you're... Um, if you play a card that says, okay, well, I'm going to put a mountain down on this desert space, and when I put the mountain down, I get a, I get so many points if it's not touching any other mountains, or I get so many points if it is touching a mountain. All the cards are different. All the cards are unique. So in that regard, it's like um, Terraforming Mars, where each card is unique. But so you, essentially you're building a map. So you're placing forests and deserts and water and then you're also placing animal tokens too uh, and so each time you draw tiles from the bag you put a cube onto a particular symbol on a card and then once it gets all filled up all the symbols on a card then you activate it and you do the effect on the card and then some of the cards have can be used multiple times before they uh, before they get exhausted so that's Ecos hmm. So it's uh, we've played three hands of that so far. I think we're actually we're in the middle of the third game. Um, we had to to knock off to record. Um, <laughs> it's like I'll be right back, guys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's Ecos, and that's a that's an AEG game. Um, and you know, I and I like the 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 map construction part of that. That it's you know it's kind of a it organically grows the map as you play the game, sort of like Carcassonne. Um, I don't know. I 
I get the most satisfaction out of Carcassonne if it's a like a fully coherent map with no empty spaces and, and things <laughs> in it. Yeah. So, you, you know, really, and I you can really but, annoy people by forcing there to be empty spaces. <laughs> <laughs> and so then finally, I played a game called Incubation, which I guess was a Kickstarter, maybe. This is another borrowed game, and you're hatching dragon eggs. Um, it's cute. The artwork's cute. The gameplay is okay. Um, I don't know. It's it's cute. My daughter likes it. Okay, I was about to ask you to play this one with your daughter. Yeah. Yep, so uh, that's uh, Incubation. That is a nice artwork, actually. I like yeah. that. It's, uh, and it's a game I've never heard of before called Synapses. I guess it's French, um, according to the website. Oh, oh yeah, it's all in, it's all in French. Wee oh. wee. Oui, oui. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Incubation, which I guess was a Kickstarter because we got it from the game library and it had it. Well, it had uh, cardboard coins and tokens, and it also had metal coins and plastic like lucite tokens. So I don't know if it's that was like got a, the stretch goals. Yeah, I guess so. So yeah, incubation. So that's what I've been playing. And uh, I actually have played something. Yay! Um, All I right. Had, yeah, AdamCon forty four. Uh, <laughs> me, me versus uh, imposter syndrome. Uh, it went okay, I guess. You know, I don't know. It kind of made me like kind of think about some things and kind of reexamine some things. You know, you always have like those ride or die friends, as the kids say. You know that you can always count on to to come out in game or you know whatever and it may be your friends you you have other people that you're friendly with but you know they you know you're not really a friend they don't know you that well or whatever they see you in the shop a good bit but you know you've never gamed with them or or whatever and i think i'm gonna work on gaming more this uh year um which I tried to do that kind of at the end of last year, first of this year, and it was uh, X-Wing. But, you know, people have kind of stopped playing X-Wing in order to play Legion. So I've been buying Legion stuff. I uh, picked up um, Jyn Erso. I picked up some Pathfinders. But I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just blindly buying shit because it looks cool, you know. and. Mm-hmm. So uh, I need to start going out to actually play Legion. We have a tournament in a few weeks. I think it's at the end of March. We'll do. We're going to do a 500 point tournament. You know, for whatever that new version of it is. Oh, the skirmish. Yeah. Uh huh. We're going to do that, and we've actually got some traction with bringing in other people uh, from around the state. And the main reason is like, you know, hey, we got the kit in that it's like look at these cool cards and the guy's been spoiling like one a week like look at this look at this and yeah just really yeah i really like skirmish i like the small print print i like the quicker games i wish they would come out with some more uh some more battle cards for it like more battlefield conditions and objectives and all that they do have different ones from their main game which is nice but i just think they need more Mm -hmm. Uh, there's i think there's only three or maybe four of each so it, it it gets repetitive in a hurry. That's my only complaint with skirmish. Otherwise, I really like it. Um. So in that vein, it trying to get out there and 
make more friends and influence people. Uh, I need to actually get out and play Age of Sigmar and Warhammer 40k. I need to stop buying armies for it, stop buying figures <laughs> for it, and because every time there's a new release, I'm like, oh, that looks shiny. Let me get that. Let me get that. <laughs> so I have like three or four armies that are like at the halfway point that you would want to field them. So I need to take one from each one, one from Age of Sigmar, one from Warhammer 40,000, and just concentrate on that. Build it up and out to where I can actually play it and, you know, make a attempt toward, you know, learning the game more and being competitive. So We need to have a, a, a painting and modeling support group that, like, <laughs> You know, to keep everybody like, did you paint today? Well, why didn't you paint today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still have a few things for Legion that are unpainted, but there's nothing that I need to paint right now. So, like, I, I have my 800-point army. I'm happy with it. It's fully painted. Anything else I add, I probably wouldn't be playing right now anyway, so there's no rush to do it. I've I, still got got uh, a core troops that aren't that are in black primer right now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I think about it and it, it, it infuriates me and then I don't do anything about it. Well, I, so that's why I need a sort support group. I, I keep, uh, just getting them assembled, you know, used to be, I wouldn't play with anything unless it was painted. And then I realized like how much that was slowing me down. So, uh, I, and I found out it is much, much cheaper to pay people to uh, assemble your figures for you. It, it's very, very affordable. And so that's what I've been doing. And I have, like, you know, just oceans of gray plastic. That, and I'm actually fielding it and, and, you know, playing the games. Or at the very least, you know, working toward that direction. So, so in Warhammer, I know, like, if you want to do an official tournament, you have to have it painted, right? You know, it's good that you brought that up, because I did m mention this. I did want to say this. Um, I find it so strange, because I saw a guy this past weekend there, and he had a Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, the Mumox, whatever the Easterlings fielded, the big-ass the, the elephants. Yeah. yeah. Remember, it only counts as one. <laughs> yep. Th those things. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. What's that for? And he's like, well... You know, I'm using it as a um, a chaos mammoth because that one's out of print and it's really expensive anyway. You know, because this <laughs> this is an official GW thing, and I was like, well, dude, you know that I I know what you're talking about. That used to be a rule like 15, 20 years ago, um, but since Games Workshop doesn't do official tournaments anymore. And the people doing the tournaments, period, the ITC, actually say you can use proxies. You know, there's no reason to do that. But it's just so weird that it's still ingrained in these people's mind that it's like, oh, I have to have the official figures and stuff like that. You have to pay your tithe to GW. Yeah, they think that because that's the way it used to be. And yeah, it, I thought it, that. Yeah, it's not. And, um, like, when the uh, the Cities of Sigmar came out, I, I, thought it, I thought it was the rebirth of um, 
the Empire, but I actually got to read the book recently, and boy, is it not. So I was just going to buy uh, a set of Warlord. Uh, they have German mercenaries, whatever they're called, from their Pike and Shot range, and just use those as um, Empire troops. But uh, I wasn't even thinking about using uh, official stuff, because I was like, you know... Look, man, if, if you have a problem with me playing with these, I don't want to play with you, you know. And if I can't play in a tournament, oh well, I don't care. You know, it's, it's not that big of a deal to me. It's just something I wanted to do. I thought it would look cool. So, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's it's a thing, and that, that mindset is still there, but it doesn't need to be. So, that's why, see, that's why I need to get involved in playing Age of Sigmar and 40K. So, I'll show these kids. I'll come in with my bullshit from other companies <laughs> and be like, what's up? Who cares? You, look, who saved six, look who saved $60, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, all that to say, I actually played a game at AdamCon 44. I played Rallyman GT. And I kind of dig, you know, little racing games. Nothing too, you know, involved. Uh, I'm a big fan of Downforce. Really like it. And um, this is Rally. And we all made the jokes of, well, they should bring Rally to Jackson, Mississippi, where they can run the cars through, like, our pothole-paved streets and stuff. And (laughs) it would be awesome. And that would help, you know, bring attention to... The problems we have with our shitty streets. But anyway, uh, it, this was a lot of fun. It's like where you you uh, like you like start out in a position, and you have six dice representing six gears. You have two dice that you can coast with, and two you can break with. The, what holds you back, though, is you have to be in a certain gear to get around corners. Otherwise, you run the risk of crashing. And also, the more dice you roll, the more risk you run of crashing. So, if you do, like, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you're rolling six dice. And there's, like, a one in six chance or whatever on, like, the first gear dice that you'll get a hazard. And it just increases the more gears you go up. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, You know, I ended up in last place or whatever. And I've also noticed, like, we've gotten more followers on Twitter, so... They're starting to like actually say things to the stuff I post because I'm I'm still in that mindset of nobody's paying attention. So I posted something about the game, about being in last place, and it was total bullshit. And uh, somebody asked me about like, was it the game's fault? You know, <laughs> is it <laughs> is it a shitty game? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Please don't think that. I'm just I'm just being uh-huh. dumb. It's I I'm sorry. I didn't realize people were paying attention. I was just being stupid. Yeah. So. So yeah. did you you said you've played Downforce. Have you played Flam Rouge, the bicycle game? No, I want to because it's uh it's based on the same uh, Downforce is based on Flam Rouge, right? I I think so, but I was just wondering how these all these games compare if they're just kind of the same with thematic differences or or what. I don't know. Uh, you know, no. Frank, Frank... I've always been interested in Flam Rouge just because I I like cycling and it's funny, you were talking about the potholes in Mississippi. Have you guys ever heard of the Perry-Roubaix race? No, what is that? No. It's a, it's a bicycle race. It, they go from Paris to Belgium, basically. It's a one-day race, but um, a large part of it is on a cobblestone road. Oh, and my. watching these guys, I'm like, 
high performance bicycles speeding on this cobblestone road. I mean, it's just it's just brutal and it's hilarious and it's it's hard and that's why everybody likes watching it so much. <laughs> <laughs> now I have a game called race. Formula D. It's a racing game. Okay, yeah, that's another one. I, and I haven't yeah. played any of them, but I was I was just curious to know how how different they were. Formula D has a bunch of polyhedral dice that go with it. They're like okay. a D thirty. Formula D. Who makes that? Why I know that from somewhere. I, I don't know. There's talk- well, it was Formula D and Formula Day. Yeah, we both... talked about it. Yeah. Formula it's... Day. Okay, there's Formula yeah. D and Formula Day would be Formula the in German, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. It doesn't say die Bart die. It says the Bart the. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. Yeah. Sorry, we're not as laser focused or focused at all at oh, well. like history on the table. But yes, it is. Aimlessness is charming. Has there right? been a is there been a new history on the table, Richard? Uh, no, not not recently. I, I think I think those guys are going to record later this week or next week. Okay. See, we we got him on we've got him on frequency. He's got a convention. <laughs> we've got frequency. That's all we need. Yeah. It's a race. I still need to get. I've got to get around. I keep telling myself I have plenty of time. But I've got to get around to getting a hotel room for um, what you call it, the historic. Do best. Airbnb. Do Airbnb. That's what I did. It's so much cheaper. I know. Historic. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, historic oh, KC. Yes. Yes. That one. Okay. Historic KC Fest, and well, you know, my main thing is is like, uh, you never know. There could be late night gaming, or, or in theory. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay, I'm tired, so I will just walk upstairs to my room and go to sleep instead yeah. of, like, having That's to, nice. you know, Uber or whatever, you know. I'm just kind of thinking that. Boy, when I was much younger, it would be, like, 16 of us all crammed into, like, one, you know, oh, no. room to save oh, money, yeah. you know. Remember, and, and remember when all-nighters were not a big deal. Oh, yeah, no <laughs> shit. You'd, Oof. like, get two hours <laughs> of sleep and then, like, get up. And just do it all day. Do it again. You know, I still have. Yeah, that. I was. I was recently sending an email around. I'm trying to get an RPG group back together again, and I just, I'm, I'm just pining for those days like when you were in college and you could just get together with your friends and play a game or or D and D or whatever, and you could just like start Friday evening and just basically play all weekend if you wanted to. And <laughs> yeah. That life is gone. <laughs> not study, not go to class. Yeah. Drink too much. Yeah. yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> I mean, I, I, one tradition I still keep, though, is I, I'll i take off, like, Friday, you know, for the convention. But I'll always take off the following Monday to recover. Mm. You know, it's always. So, you know. Anyway. There you go. So, uh... Next thing. Oh, yes, we have a sponsor. We actually put it in the correct sponsor section. Mike at alterdementia.com. You can see this in the show notes because it's spelled a little weird. This guy prints Hero Forge miniatures and a lot of other stuff. And anything you have the STL files for, he will print for you. In addition to having like his own stuff that he has there as well. You're Hit him up and talk to him. I bet he can uh, set you up. And you, I know I print, uh, got a bunch of uh, out-of-print Flames of War tanks done, so my Russians are ready. 
to fight tomorrow night instead of waiting on Battlefront to uh, get around to making them in plastic and overcharging me for them. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And uh, you can always use the discount code of COG2019 to get 20% off your purchase. So there you go. So moving on to what's on your radar. Who put this crazy thing on here? What even is this? Richard, why are you putting uh, stuff about anime on here? I don't get it. I'm learning about this for the first time mm-hmm. myself. This is After School Dice Club. And, uh, you know, they turn everything into anime. You know, sooner or later, I'm sure there'll be an anime on, you know, the podcast club, the, the After School Podcast Club. I don't know. But uh, this is a slice of life anime, which is the best kind of anime, in my opinion. And um, it's about an after school board game club. Of course, there are anime girls, and I'm sure there'll be, like, one guy that comes in, and, you know, there'll be a girl that's kind of, you know, bitchy, but she turns out she has a heart of gold. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's lots and lots of tropes. But as it sits now, and you'll have the link in the show notes on Funimation, it is four and a half stars with 654 reviews. It came out last year, and, uh, yeah, I think it's going to sound really cool. You know, well, I, I don't get anime I like the, at all. I like the episode. I like the episode where they spend a half an hour trying to find the rules for uh, kindling in ASL. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fantastic? I I, I really hope for like uh, season two, or maybe they'll have an episode where they're like, "Let's play a war game," and you know, it's like a, a World War Two game, and it gets like really uncomfortable and weird. <laughs> You know, and yeah, that would be really neat. Uh, speaking of, uh, I have all, I when they always declare no quarter against the Chinese. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna replay the rape of Nanking. <laughs> so I, that was actually the last ASL scenario I played. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Nanking uh, ASL scenario. Uh, it was what was it called? Oh, it, it was Shanghai. No, it was the one. It wasn't Nanking. It was Shanghai, but it was Shanghai in flames, and basically, yeah, the whole town was on fire, and yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, one thing I've always got a kick out of with anime is just Japan and World War II anyway is weird. There's, there's a, <laughs> It really, really is. There's a lot of stuff, and I don't know if it's because they're not like Germany. Germany is like, you know, they teach their kids, like, look, we did all these things. All these things were bad. We were bad, and this should never happen again. Whereas in Japan, you know, they're still... People, uh, I remember there was a a guy who ate the liver of a um, of where a, is this going? <laughs> uh, uh, well, I was okay. There, there was a, a guy like a, a a city councilman. He he was in the eighties uh, and the nineties. You know, he was a prominent politician, and he had ate the liver of a uh, a, a U.S. bomber guy that bailed out over Japan. You know, and so there's that kind of thing, and they completely deny, you know, they did anything in China and uh, in Korea and all this stuff. So I wonder if it's that, that you see this weird stuff with anime, like, you know, you'll have the the quasi-World War II stuff, the almost Nazi stuff, but what I really, really don't understand is why they de- there's always a naval anime, and there's like three or four different ones, where the ships are like gir- cute girls, you know? <laughs> and, and so it's like, oh, Yama- you know, it's, it's the Yamato. And it's like, oh, we have to fight the Indianapolis, and, you know, all this stuff. It's I don't get it. It's really, really weird. 
But uh, yeah, on the naval um, uh, Facebook group I'm on, naval wargaming. Any anytime somebody talks about a particular ship from World War Two, I always comment with a picture of the anime version of said ship. <laughs> you know, always. It's like, yeah, I love that ship. Look how cute she is. Here she is, right there. <laughs> So, I don't know. It's just weird. But, all that to say, After School Dice Club probably doesn't have a lot of war crimes in it. I haven't watched it. I don't know. But And hopefully, it looks like they're playing Catan or something. So but, Yeah, I was wondering what that game was. Or a Catan pastiche knockoff something. But, yeah. Maybe I'll try to watch an episode or two before we uh, uh, record again, and we'll see. We'll see how it is. Maybe, maybe they play ASL. Maybe that's what they start. They just shove all that stuff on the floor and they break out the big orange book and there's a no let's do this that's right <laughs> so uh the next thing we had was the player's aid of uh, the uh the blog i continue to envy of like man if i could conquer mental illness and had a lot of time on my hands i would totally do this and uh this is their 12 most anticipated war games of 2020 and uh, i just wanted to go through the list real quick and see what you guys thought Number 12 was Undaunted North Africa. And, Richard, you haven't played Undaunted yet? I have not played Undaunted, nope. Uh, I, I found it to be really, really simple, really, but challenging, yeah. and a lot of fun. Uh, and um, I think it's currently on sale, in the uh, at least from Osprey, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the best price. You know how, the, you know how companies do. They're like, ooh, we're having a big sale. Yeah. I, I thought about picking it up a few weeks ago. It was at Miniature Market. It was on the Ding and Dent for like 18 bucks or something like that. And I thought about picking it up, but I made a resolution to stop playing games I didn't know I was going to play. Ah. Well, I would definitely say it's it's worth $18 for sure. But this looks like a... I don't know if it's an expansion. I, don't, I think it's just another version of the system. This just kind of moves it to Africa. Yeah. <coughs> Which means we'll, you know, we'll see an Eastern Front. Um, we may see an Italian Front. I don't know. Your, the original one is is France, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. And number eleven is Maori Warriors of the Long White Cloud from Compass Games, uh, which I think is kind of neat. I like. Um, I own Maori Wars from Legion War Games. And have been dying to get it to the table, but you know me, it just has not happened. But this is a <laughs> card version of a game that puts you in charge of a complex society as you try to impose your will on your neighbors using essentially Stone Age technology. So I've always respected them, you know, just as, you know, a minority, a tribal group, you know, and what all they went through. And of course, you know, if you want to see kind of the situation they're in now watch the movie once for warriors so number 10 is at all costs the great war in the east from holland spiel have you heard of this one i have not and i usually keep up on holland spiel but i haven't heard of this game i have and thought it was uh it sounded really cool i'm always interested in uh world war one games and you know it's coming from holland spiel which means, you know, it'll be put together really nice and it'll be relatively inexpensive. And, uh, yeah, just kind of interested in it. I don't yeah. know Holland much. Spiel, they do small games, and it would be interesting how to see how they do 
you know, great the Great War, World War One. I, I guess it's just Eastern Front, but even so, how they're going to do that in a, a small game. Number nine is Enemy Action Karkov from Compass Games. A lot of Compass Games on here. Uh, yeah, I noticed that. I, I was familiar with Enemy Action Ardennes, but um, and I know it just has like a big following and whatnot. But um, yeah, I was unfamiliar with this one. Yeah, well, it's it's new. Um, Enemy Action Ardennes is a lot of people consider that to be, and I haven't played it, but a lot of people will say that's one of the best solitaire systems out there. It's a game that can be played as one player or two players, or you can play solitaire either side. And I. I don't know if there's a bot. I don't know how it works, but there's some sort of solitaire system for it. So that's really what the game is known for is being so good with that system. So obviously we've got Kharkov now. It's going to be take it over to the East Front and hopefully do the same thing. Uh, I would like to play this. I've got a friend that has Arden. Um, so like I said, it can be played one or two player. Uh, I'd like to play this at some point, but I don't know. I said Ardenes, so you know, like sardines. Yeah, so that's just a different pronunciation. I know what you mean. <laughs> I know. Now this bad boy uh, pre-orders for eighty-two bucks with an MSRP of one nineteen. Yeah, um, that's. I mean, if you're interested at all, now's the time to get it because I know Enemy Action Arden goes for one thirty nowadays if you can find it. So, yeah, Compass games are are not cheap. So if you can get it for if you're interested, now's the time to get it for eighty-two. They seem, they seem to definitely be kind of the uh, the opposite of Holland Spiel, at least when it comes to price. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, I mean, I'm sure, yeah, their games are just as good, you know. But, yeah, they definitely seem to be more on the higher end. And, oh, damn it, I lost it. Hold on. Imperial Tide is the next one. Mm. I accidentally clicked out of it, so, you know, this may be something I edit out, probably. Maybe. <laughs> Number eight, Imperial Tide, The Great War, 1914 from 1918 from Compass Games. Now this, eh, I've never been really kind of interested in doing the whole, let, let's play the whole war, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But well, see, I, I understand a lot of people are, so. Here's my problem with it. I am interested in playing the whole war, but when it says, you're going to play the whole out, the whole war two and a half hours with a small footprint... I'm not interested in that. If you say you're going to play the whole war and we're going to fill up your table and it's going to take you 30 hours to do it, yes, I am in. Or <laughs> if you say we're going to play a small battle and that's going to take you two hours, I'm in. But I, I, I haven't seen success in trying to take these huge things and, and cram them into something small. I don't know, Rich. It said, think Pass of Glory, except the design objective is the whole war. 2.5 hour, yeah. hours or so with a small footprint. I'm in. Boom. I am pre-ordering that right now. <laughs> All right. Sounds perfect. Tell me how it is. <laughs> um, I mean, it looks like, is it a card-based game? Oh, I it see. Looks, I see it looks lots like it is, yeah. Of, yeah, I see lots of cards. See, that's the turnoff for me. It's like, eh, I don't want to play cards. I don't like cards in my war games. <laughs> yeah, except maybe, you know, except for, like, Command and Colors and Combat Commander. But, you know, eh, not that great. Now, this one pre-orders for 50 bucks, so it's much much cheaper. Yeah. Number seven is A Time for Trumpets, The Battle of the Bulge. And this is on P500 from uh, GMT. Yeah. Eh, I don't know um, anything about this one. Well, five maps... 
1,600 counters. So it's a big one. Um, I would say, honestly, this sounds good to me. I would love to give this game a try. I don't need another bulge game, though. So um, I would say if I, if I want to... So I've already got Hurricane Forest, which is uh, the Grand Operational Strategic... G-O-S-S, Grand Operational Strategic System, something like that. Uh, but it's highly detailed. Uh, and that one is Hurricane, which is right before the Battle of the Bulge. And then they're going to be coming out with Lucky Forward, which is Patton's sort of assault toward the Battle of the Bulge. So um, I don't really want another Bulge game, but in theory, I love the idea of a big game with 1,600 counters. So 1,600 counters? That's a lot for the cat to knock off on the floor. Yeah. Well, lucky for me, I don't clip, so. Ah. <laughs> but look at this. 89 bucks for that game. I almost want to pre-order it just so I can resell it later for 150 Hmm. It's funny because I got the Kickstarter everything for World at War, which is all still in my shrink wrap now. And I think I paid 80 bucks for it because I got all the add-ons and everything. And it was it was super cheap. And now I'm seeing that game going for like two, 300 bucks for people buying everything. And I, I'm really tempted to resell it, but I want to keep it. Yeah, it's that's one that I kind of wish I had done, but then I'm yeah. like, yeah, well, there's nobody to play with, so. <laughs> uh, number six is another P500 game, All Bridges Burning, Red Revolt yeah. and White Guard in Finland, 1917 to 1918. Now, this is a really cool, you know, just a setting for it is very interesting. Yes. And this, this is, is a... This is the first game that's also on my list of most anticipated. And it's because it's the first three-player coin game. So I'm excited about that. So how many Plus is, is coin normally? Uh, almost all of them are four. There's one two-player game. This is the first three-player game. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that one sounds cool. Uh, number five is Versailles 1919. Another one from uh, GMT. Yeah. Now, so, sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Uh, not interested at all. <laughs> I saw this one play tested a couple months ago, and I looked at it, and it reminded me of Churchill. And I thought, yeah, that's all right. It, but it, again, it's a Mark Herman game. And like I said earlier, uh, I didn't think I would like Pericles. And I, I, from what I've seen so far, I really like it. But Versailles 1919 didn't look interesting to me. Mm. Yeah, no, so this was a pass for me. Number four is Caesar, Rome versus Gaul, Gaelic Wars, 57 to 52 BC from GMT Games. Now, this is yeah. Simonich. Yeah, which, I mean, um, anything Simonich puts out, I'm at least tempted by. So. Now, would this be kind of a Roman 4X game, sort of? No, I don't think it's a 4X game. I think it's, um, I mean, I think it's a, you know, it's not hex encounter. It's 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 point to point movement, but I think it's you know traditional war game. Okay. I think a lot of a lot of ancient games you don't see hex encounter. You see point to point because, and I mean I'm not a game designer or developer or historian for that matter, but I think it probably better represents the way they moved armies back then rather than hex to hex. Hmm. Okay. Number three is Stilicho, Last of the Romans from Hollandsfield. Yeah, I've heard of this one. Don't really know anything about it, but it's interesting. I mean, I, 
I've got I've got a couple couple other Hollenspiel games uh, from this era. I've got uh, what's it? Agricola is is really good. That's a solitaire only game. Um, and then, well, I don't have Mar- Wars of Marcus Aurelius, but that's the other one I was thinking of. But yeah, Agricola. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> uh, number two by Stealth and C from Danversen Games. This is one I'm very interested in that I will probably end up kickstartering unless it ends up being too much money. Because Dan, to me, Danversen stuff doesn't really go on sale that much or that reliably. And yeah, um, yeah so, and this, the idea of Italian frogmen driving, you know, the a two-man submarine that's also a torpedo seems really interesting to me. But it's going to be a solitaire or a co-op game. Also, so I'm like, yeah, I could do that in theory. And uh, apparently the Kickstarter will start in two days. Looks yeah, like the, it, yeah. I don't, I'm not that interested in this game, but the, yeah, I, I would love to read a book about those guys. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is one that uh, I saw in the Naval uh, Board Games group. Um, I think Jack Green was talking about it because some guy he worked on a game with uh, did a book on this, or, but it's only in Italian. I don't know, but whatever. And uh, last but not least, number one is The Dark Summer, Normandy 1944 from GMT Games. Yep, I playtested this one for a while last year. It's a good game. I mean, if you've played Dark Sands and uh, Dark... It's uh, the Eastern Front. Dark Valley... Um, you know, you'll recognize the mechanics, but it's a good game. I like it. So what kind it's of game tough. is it? It's operational? Uh, yeah, I guess I'd call it operational. It's, um, you, when you play the allies, um, you come, I think, I think turn one, you land your troops, but, and, and similarly from what I've heard from reading some books and stuff, but. Um, it was never really a question of whether they could land. The, whether, the question was whether they could supply the beaches once they land. And I think this this shows that pretty well. Because you're going to get the troops on, and they're going to keep coming. But the Germans have a chance to do some timely counterattacks that can close some of their supply sources and beaches, which is going to make it really, really tough. Um, I don't know how they've if they've changed anything as far as victory conditions or whatever this. Um, when we played it, the victory conditions were really tough for the Allies. Like, they had to be up in Cherbourg by, like, I can't remember, it was like turn two or three or something to get the maximum bonus, and it was crazy. It's just there was no way that was going to happen. So um, I don't know how much they've changed, but it is a good game. Hmm. And 38 bucks pre-order, that's a good price. Yeah, it is. So moving on, uh, the next thing, and I have... I honestly cannot remember how this popped up on my radar, but, you know, here we are, is the Caucus Campaign, another Simonich game. Now, this was originally published in uh, 2009, and apparently I think it's on the P500 now to come back. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of... I remember reading something about this particular campaign, the German-Russian uh, conflict they had in, what, it's like, 42? So that's kind of like really was an early Eastern Front and just thought it was neat. Are you familiar with this one at all, Richard? No, I haven't heard of this one. Um, I wonder, so you said this first came out in 2009? Yeah, that's what the wonder, GMT page here says. Yeah, I wonder when his first Zotbond game was. Because he says that this has some 
some basic, uh, you know, some of the same mechanics as he says Argent 44. So, um, yeah, I, I wonder if this is sort of like his, his first shot at the Zakban series. I'm not sure about that. Uh, it says, this is a quick-playing, moderately complex game with large hexes and easy-viewing 5-8 counters. The game system is based on the classic I-go-you-go movement combat exploitation system, but modified with elements from Ardine 44. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's the way all of his Zokban games are. They're all I-go-you-go, um, but... All right, uh, Richard, this one finishes in five hours. Is yeah, that good, is that good or bad? It says it can be finished in one setting, approximately five hours. So is that is that not worth it? Not good? No, I think that's that's a good time for that. So okay, yeah, five hour game is good. All right. Uh, the next thing we had uh, was White Dog Games, which I was not familiar with, and apparently they're going to be at Consum World Dallas in a couple weeks, where I will be, and. Uh, their designer, Mark Michael Kennedy, will be on hand and demoing a bunch of their games. You know, and looking at this, they're, you know, I'll, they have me with art direction, for sure, on a lot of these. I like, um, and of course, I like a lot of the different settings, like uh, September Storm, which is the invasion of Poland, uh, 1944, War in the West looks good, and I'm assuming the Storm kind of thing is a particular type of uh, uh, rules or gameplay or whatever they use because it repeats in a couple of their other games. So I am interested and would definitely like to, you know, watch a demo and see how it goes. Uh, actually, looking at the um, components, uh, I mean, they're okay. It doesn't really blow me away like looking at September Storm, looking at the map or the, the counters, but I kind of would like to see it in person just to see how big they were, I think. I mean, the artwork doesn't, like, blow me away or anything, but um, I don't know. could be a really awesome game. Have you heard of these at all, Richard? Anything? Any of these? I've heard, I've heard of them before. I've heard that uh, Mrs. Thatcher's War is pretty good. Now, would that be, uh, shit, what is it? The, Down... Fal the Falcon War. Yeah, yeah, the Falcon War. Which yeah. was... I don't know. You ever wonder if anything like that could happen nowadays? I mean, I can't imagine I mean, like how weird that would be to watch, where it's like, well, okay, this yeah. major, major power, you know, Britain, it you know gets into a uh, pissing contest with um, what's it? What you call it? Um, Argentina. Uh, Argentina. Yeah. Well, I, I see mean, that Mrs. Thatcher's War is banned in Argentina. Is it? That's what the yeah. what the box art says. That's funny. Now banned in Argentina. <laughs> I like that. That's cool. Yeah, I, I would thought toss that in as marketing. Um, yeah, it's looking at the components. It looks like a poster type map, or you know, not necessarily a poster, but it's that slightly thicker, you know, whatever they have, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I think it's forty three. Yeah, it's not. It's bucks. not mounted. It's like it's like cardboard kind of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, looks like it's forty three dollars, and that includes shipping. Or you can P and P means uh print and play, right? For twenty eight, yes. twenty twenty eight bucks. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. I'll take a look at that one maybe. That's uh Ben Madison, 
was the author of this one. But yeah, I've always been fascinated by that, you know, kind of modern, quote-unquote, warfare that you had, where, you know, you would think it would be some something like U.S. versus the, uh, the Iraq or something, but it wasn't. They, Argentina had, like, they had bought, like, a bunch of anti-ship missiles from, like, France, you know, and, and all this stuff, so... Just interesting. Uh, to me, I kind of consider that like a forgotten modern war, uh, like the invasion of Panama. You know, I, I people don't seem to talk about that much. And, you know, I know I never did until I ended up working with a veteran who was a veteran of the invasion of Panama, and a friend of his got killed over there. So uh -huh. I was like, shit, you know, I'd never... He's like, yeah, they don't, you know... Nobody ever says anything about it, you know, there's no special day or whatever, but we lost X amount of guys and whatever, and yeah, so, mm, just interesting. But I guess you have a more personal connection to it if you were there, so, you know, anyway. <laughs> the next thing we have is the Baron's War Range from Footsore Miniatures and Games. That is the company that, uh, they put out a lot of, uh, Figures for Saga, they also do Mortal Gods, Games of Rome, and this is another rule set they're doing that is coming, and I want to say they have Andy Chambers, or one of those XGW guys, is on it, because I saw him on Twitter playtesting it, so I'm assuming this is going to be uh, like Saga or Mortal Gods, where it's this... Um, Large-scale skirmish is what I call, you know, it's, I, I consider like a skirmish game, like 10 guys or less. And whereas these games usually have like 30 guys or but less. It looks like these are all a single, single mini represents a single person, right? Yes, yes, that will be the scale. And I know for like Saga, generally you can have like a unit of guys, but you usually don't have more than like three units and a leader an overall leader, so you have, like, you know, 20 or 30 guys tops, and you're playing on, like, a 4x4 four four area. Uh, I like that idea. Like, the only thing I don't like about Saga is the dice mechanic. It adds the special dice, so you can do, you know, just bullshit in it, like, this allows me to reroll whatever, you know, and that. But um, this time period, I am not familiar with this Baron's Wars. The Baron's Wars. It yeah, is. it says it's same time as some of the Crusades, but I, I was never heard of that either. I don't know. Let's see. Looks like the first Baron's War was 1215 to 1217, a civil war in the Kingdom of England in which a group of rebellious major landowners, commonly referred to as Barons, led by Robert Fitzwater with a French army under the future uh, Louis VIII, waged war against King John of England. So, holy shit, they're fighting um that crappy uh, lion guy from, you know, Robin Hood. Remember <laughs> he was a little lion guy? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're fighting him. Good. And that's why uh, Patrick Stewart was off uh, at war. You know, as I referenced another movie, Men in Tights. You should see it. It's good. Um, so, yeah. yeah it's kind of neat. But yeah, I, I'm willing to bet we'll have uh, there'll be a Robin of yeah. There's Robert Fitzwater. I don't see a Robin of Loxley on there. I guess he'll be there somewhere. And uh, yeah, I I like Dark Ages medieval skirmish 
I do. I just wish, really, really wish we had a, one of these companies was in the United States. So I don't have to pay out the ass in shipping. Whatever. Anyway, the next thing we have is probably one of the more outrageous Kickstarter things I've ever heard of. All right. Yeah. This is, uh, okay, pronounce this for me. This is. I just go with Tolus? Tolus. Tolus. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the PT reminds me of a lot of Ponchatoula, you know, kind of what they do in Louisiana. So it's, it's say, Tolus, City by the Spire. And this comes from Monty Cook. And he did a Kickstarter for this. You know, why? I don't know, because he needs you to pre-order it, I guess. Uh, Monty Cook kiss starts everything. Yeah, he, I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, when he did, uh, was it, not called Black Sun, but something like that. He oh, did Invisible that. Sun. Invisible, Invisible Sun. Sun. Yeah. Yeah, when he did that, and he's done all the the little the kids RPG, you know, Thank You Evil. Those were all kickstarted, and I think when he did his Cipher, um, I can't remember what he's called, but the 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 Living Campaign. Those were all kickstarted. He kickstarts everything. Yeah, yeah. Again, all right. I think I think we're in Steve Jackson territory. It's like, do you, do you really need to be doing this? Look, when your Kickstarter makes a quarter of a million dollars on the first fucking day, I don't think you need to be kickstarting anything anymore. But whatever. All right, that was one reason I wanted to talk about this. Was it was it got two hundred fifty grand on its first day, and as of this recording, it has twenty five days to go, and they're up to four hundred thousand. All they wanted was a measly 80 grand. All right, so that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to mention, to actually get a physical copy of this game yeah. in print, it is 150 damn dollars. Yeah, but did you see the book? Um, no. The physical copy of this book, it's a 672-page book. Um, hmm. What does it that mean? A, yeah. What's what's in it? What could possibly be in it? And I think for the 150, don't you get two versions of it? Yeah, you get. Oh no, for oh you get either one, either or. Yes. Either D and D fifth edition or Cipher system. Hmm. But yeah, a 672 page book plus a bunch of other stuff. Hmm. I don't know. 672 pages. Let's see. Um... I, I think a 672 page book does one d6 damage though. Yeah, I would think. I mean, <laughs> if you throw it at somebody or, or whatever. All right, okay. The Talisman by Stephen King. 646 pages. It's cost eight bucks. You know, yeah. Eight bucks for a paperback. Probably not full color hardback. I yeah. guess there's a lot of art. I mean, honestly, it, again, I, I, I say this every time we talk about one of these Kickstarters. I know nothing about business. But I can't imagine what the printing cost is going to be on this 672 full page, full color hardback book. Eight by ten color glossy photographs with the circles and arrows on, and a caption on the back explaining what it was. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, apparently the history of this—it's a really, you know, it's it's his famous setting, whatever, you know, it's it's a big dungeon. All this good stuff, but uh, yeah, 100, 150 bucks, man. All right, okay, okay, Richard. As, yeah. as I as I struggle to shit on this game, at, shit on this Kickstarter, <laughs> and you and you and you white knight it. 
Let's uh, okay. <laughs> so all right, I'm I'm say I give a hundred and fifty dollars. Does that include shipping? Probably not. Hmm. Because I six hundred. <laughs> so okay, like what what always catches me on these things is like where it says like you know you go to click on this where it says pledge a hundred fifty dollars or more deliver in print blah 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 estimated delivery it says ships to anywhere in the world that makes me think that shipping is oh okay no 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 sorry shipping is charged at the time it says shipping is charged at the time we fulfill your reward see shipping on the main kickstarter okay i will say at because it's a book or a bunch of books is this just one book anyway um you can ship it media mail cheap Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on, but no, they're probably gonna try. They're like, it's big. It's gonna cost, yeah, like thirty extra dollars to ship it. And that would just make <laughs> me mad. See, you always look at shit. Every time I look at one of these Kickstarters, the first thing I always do is scroll down to the bottom and see what the biggest pledge is and what they give you for it. But this one's actually not ridiculous. It's four hundred bucks. You get an autographed copy of it in in both systems, and then some other stuff as well. So. But usually um, there's one for like a thousand dollars where they like come over and yeah, Monty Cook comes he, over spaghetti or something. Yes, he <laughs> he, he makes you food and, and feeds yeah. it to you. Like here you go. I have to put that on one of my and my Kickstarter thing. Oh shit, that reminds me, Dad Gummit, we got to talk about our the GoFundMe we were doing. I guess we'll talk about it at the end of the show. I'll hopefully not forget. Actually, I'll punch it in here right now, so uh, I don't forget. Go fund me, because <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll do a maybe a parody Kickstarter as well since people want that. Anyway, so this thing, you're right, four hundred bucks isn't bad. So the cheapest you can get is was it forty, and you just get PDF. You get forty the bucks, I get you the PDF. Yeah. Yeah. You then but you, you get both PDFs. So that's <laughs> then you can burn up your printer at work. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is very very true. Um. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's not a bad price. It'll probably eventually go on sale for twenty bucks for the PDF on, you know, drive through RPG, yeah. where all this stuff is. So yeah, I don't know. See, now I want this big giant book to throw at somebody. You know, to just have. That's just the cool. reason you get a big book. Yeah, I know. Just set it on my shelf and never open it. Uh, it does remind me. I looked really hard at the Aliens RPG the other day yeah and uh i my local shops got it for like 42 bucks which is we were surprised it's the same price as miniature market and um i was talking to a couple of guys about it because my whole thing was, was like look is it just you know every game is like well where's when's the alien gonna pop out you know will that be is that just the game and um they were like no in fact you they're actually very rare, and so you just basically, it's you versus kind of shady corporations and stuff like that, and every now and then, an alien pops up. And so it got me thinking, I was like, you know, if I was running the game, I would load the fucking thing down with nothing but red herrings. Like, uh, you you know, you enter a room, there's a lady there complaining of chest pains. What do you do? <laughs> and then like you know you're you're fixing to kill her and then she just burps and it's like oh sorry it was just indigestion you know stuff like that 
you enter a room, there's a guy there complaining of abdominal pain. What do you do? It's like, oh, well, we got to kill this guy. And nope, nope, he just had Taco Bell, you know. He had space Taco Bell. That was it. So, yeah, that's what I would do. No, nothing but red herrings all, all the way through. Until finally you got so tired of it, it would be, surprise, alien. <laughs> Boom, right there. Anyway. You know, we should do some uh, online role-playing or something. Uh, some guys I met locally, um, they were like, yeah, you should come out to our Tuesday game. And I'm like, ah, I'm stuck in this thing with work for uh, the next month or so on Tuesday nights. So, yeah, maybe afterward. They were doing, um, currently in the middle of that uh, Baldur's Gate campaign from D&D, Descent yeah. into whatever it is. So, I don't know. And then my friend Chris was saying he got involved in one that's doing Ravenloft mm -hmm. right now. Uh, I don't know. I think I'd be more interested in doing, like, um, Dungeon Crawl Classics. You know, something weird where I can die or something. I don't know. Anyway. So, moving on. No Dice, No Glory is talking about The Great War advancing onto my game table. And this is an interesting article they posted because it lists several games that I'm very interested in. Number one is Blood and Valor. The rulebook for it is shipping now. And this is the same company, uh, Firelock Games, that does Blood and Plunder and Oak and Iron. And basically, it's they use that system up into World War One. And I've been really impressed with the uh, how in-depth they went into it. It wasn't just like, okay, well... Here's the British Expeditionary Force. You know, here's the Germans. You know, no, they go so far as like, well, here's the British East Africa Force list. You know, all this different stuff. And here's the French Colonial list. And, I, yeah, yeah, I just really dig that. They've got Turks on the picture there. Yeah, and so that's really, really neat and really well thought of. And uh, I can't wait to get it and probably never get a lo game locally of it. I do own some World War One Germans uh, that I recently dug out. I don't know how they're going to fit into the game. I'll wait till I get my rulebook. But, uh, yeah, the rulebook's cheap, too. I want to say MSRP on it's like 20 bucks. So, you know. Hmm. The uh, next game they list is one we've talked about before, is Heart of Leviathan. And this is basically just X-Wing with World War One Dreadnoughts. I mean, come on. How could you not like that? Armada. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I guess you're right. It is Armada. It's not X-Wing. It's, it's more Armada because you actually have to deal with like your um, gunnery and um, your speed and all that different stuff. And your Steam level, all that fun stuff, and yeah, it'd be good. And of course, they mentioned Great War Commander on here, which is available, uh, has been for a long time, and uh, my friend has that, and we have not played it. Basically, it is Combat Commander in World War One, but uh, it includes tanks and planes, unlike Combat Commander, so yeah. I really want to dig that. I'm sorry, I really want to play that. I do dig that. I really want to play it. Uh, the next thing was Devil Dogs, Bellio Wood, 1918. So this is uh, the U.S. Marine attack, uh, the famous attack in the wood. And yep. uh, eh, it's a card game, so I'm kind of just like, meh. Come or on, you sons of bitches, you want to live forever? Yeah. And uh, not crazy about that one, uh, using the cards and whatnot. It comes from Worthington. 
which I mean that really means it's going to be affordable, you know. But there's some trade-off with components if that matters to you, you know. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> now the next one I am very interested in is Verdun. 1916 Steel Inferno. I love everything about this. I've never heard of fe the Fellowship of Simulations. That's what we should call our, our thing, a Fellowship of Podcasters. Fops. <laughs> we could be Fops, the Fellowship of Podcasters. We're foppish. Yes. We're foppish lads. Yeah. We're run around like you know a roving gang of people <laughs> uh, beating up game designers and stuff. No, beating up rival podcasts at uh, conventions. That's what we do. We make the game designers pay protection money. Be a whole thing, yeah. Do we, we get leather jackets? Yes. With their names on? And we dance fight where we go like, all right. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Roll up the cuffs of my jeans. Uh-huh, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, uh, very interested in this because it has this nice uh, neoprene map, which I, when I first looked at it, I was like, is that cloth? Oh, my gosh, I'm sold. And it uses those cool blocks that make me think like I'm in a uh, 1800s like wargaming college. Anytime you push around like you know the little blocks. Oh yeah, so, you need a long stick. Yes, I need a long stick and go hmm. And a, uh, a snifter of brandy as I go <laughs> over and go yes. Try to get. How do you like that, Pierre? And so yeah, I'm very interested in this. It's going to hit Kickstarter two days ago. What? I don't know. Has this has this gone out? Hold on, while we live Google this. You know, we should really put this show out on Twitch while we do it. Well, actually, I would, but um, it would probably crash or something stupid. But uh, yeah. yeah oh, they're already way over too. Yeah, people would. Yeah. Did you find it? Yeah. Oh yeah, here it is. Verdun Steel Inferno. Oh shit! It's like well, this not... looks like the same artwork as um. The the grizzled. Yeah. It actually kind of reminds me of um, Dadgummit, that little French guy uh, cartoon that's been around. Tintin. Looks like Tintin. So let's see how much. Uh, it's, it's not in real money. It's got those euros on there. Sacre bleu! It is 69 euros, which is about... Yeah, you can get them. I think nice. you can convert it to American money. It's... They, yes. they want they want seventy five ninety two and they've got thirty three eight fifty nine with twenty one days to go. They're yeah. way over. God. Yeah, they so are. So if you way want over. it, it's a it's a done deal. Uh, yep. See what their stretch goals are. Are there any? Uh, okay, you do that. I'm gonna look and see what's the craziest thing on here. <laughs> oh man, the early bird would have been cool. It's sixty four bucks. Uh, okay. Uh, it's just the retailer, the one for four hundred that gets you um, ten copies of it. You although for, or a for, solo bot for 184, you can get the limited edition, which it just I mean, there's a signed poster. Oh, you get a t shirt and a mouse pad. There you go, and a signed poster if you really much need that. Uh, it is card driven, but I love the Battle of Verdun. Done, love it, and uh, I highly recommend um, Alexander Horn's uh, "The Price of Glory." And I'll have that link to the show notes. Man, yeah, Dad Gum, this is going to be a really, a really expensive month for me for Kickstarters, because <laughs> uh, there's this. Um, the core is going to be released by the next podcast we do, a 15 millimeter uh, Kickstarter, 
that I'm really into, and there was one more I wanted. I don't know. Oh yeah, the uh, the Italian Frogman one. Dang, gonna be expensive. <coughs> but uh, yeah, I'm liking this. I'm really liking the neoprene mat. Why do more companies not do neoprene mats? Probably expensive. Cost. Yeah. Are they more expensive than say a mounted mat? I wonder. I mean, there, there's a premium price for mounted mats too, though. Nah, that's true. Although it seems like it seems like GMT is more 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 and more games are coming out with just mounted maps now, which I like. Um, I mean, it's uh, if if you're going to put plexi over it, which I you pretty much have to do, whether it's mounted map or regular, then it probably doesn't matter. But eh, I kind of like the mounted. All right. So uh, the next thing we have was this is. Pretty big news in the miniature gaming uh, world is Warcaster. Privateer Press is finally coming out with a science fiction tabletop game. And, uh, oh. yeah, this is a really big announcement. Uh, we've talked for, gosh, a whole year or more, uh, you know, just mentioning anecdotally that it's very hard to find a store that carries War Machine Mm -hmm. uh, people aren't playing it, and, you know, just the general concerns from the community that is playing it, and, uh, wow, now here's another game they're coming out with. We've also talked about, uh, they put out, uh, one or two games that they just kind of dropped and stopped supporting, and, uh, yeah, so here we are, here we are with another game that will be kickstarted. And what we'll have linked in the show notes is the answers to your burning questions by Privateer Press that they posted a couple of days ago. Uh, this is kind of interesting. I'm kind of very interested in it. It's a sci-fi game. They are usually really good about uh, rules and with their skirmish games and, and all that is really nice. It's really tight. It's designed for competitive play. These figures look really good. And what they're talking about where it's like 20 or 30 models per side, but only half of those will be on the uh, table at any given time. It's kind of neat, but it's, it's going to depend on cost. How much is this Kickstarter going to cost? I mean, right now, the average War Machine um, starter box is like $30, and it comes with like three figures. So are, are they going to charge me like $75? How's it going to work? And the other thing is, is I really would like to find someone local that would also buy into this. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like Kickstarter should do that. Like, you should be able to look... Like enter in your zip code, and it goes okay. There are there are two people in your area that are kickstarting this. And you're like yes, okay. I don't know who they are, but you know, I'm gonna do it. That way, I so, can have an opponent. I wish hobby stores would do this when you buy like a starter set for Legion, that you could like put your name on a list and say okay, well this is a person that bought into Legion. So if you want to play Legion, get in touch with them. Yeah, it is weird. I know kind of like a lot of it is it comes down to like us being in the in the shop and like oh look there's a guy who's hanging out over there by the the legion stuff and so you walk over and you're like hey buddy you interested in legion it's like Psst, you want to buy some legion you want some <laughs> yeah i always feel like a creep doing that though 
uh, well, you know, I guess just don't touch them or anything. You'll be all right, you know. But you know, as long as you, as long as you're just like, hey, uh, you play, we play. You know, uh, Thursday nights are the big nights. You know, over here if you're interested. And of course, I'm always like, I don't know shit, you know, about this enough to actually tell you. But I will, I'll go like, hey, go talk to Jim Bob over there. He's like the guy you want to talk to about this game, you know. So, so like yeah. asking them what brand of underwear they're wearing. That's no. too forward. No, 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 okay. yeah. no that's that's what, what's been tripping me up then. Yeah, what color are they were? Yeah, <laughs> tell okay. them they got a pretty mouth. No, that that's not good. <laughs> no, 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 none of that is acceptable. That's that's okay. all no. Okay. All right. So anyway, we're talking about Kickstarter and Privateer Press. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, well, I'm, we're I guess we're finishing up, but yeah, it, it would be nice if they had something like that. You know, where mm-hmm. you could be like, oh, okay, you're coming in. Yeah, working over there. Yeah. I'll, I'll, so, uh, the next thing we have, we actually have an interview. Roy and I conducted this interview with, uh, my friend. How do we, how do we pronounce this last name, Roy? It was Bobé? Bobby. Yeah. Bobby. Uh, well. Or. Yeah. Bobby. I always, like I always said Mike Bobe, but no, it's not. It's Mike Bobby. Uh, he had, uh, his family had Bobby's Hobby House in Pensacola, Florida since like the 50s. And he's recently had to close up his store. In this interview, he talks about, you know, the history of the store and his thoughts on the industry and why the shop closed and uh, all that. Uh, to me, it was it was really interesting. And it was, I, I had been trying to get him on the show for a while uh, when I heard he was closing to, to talk about it. And, um, yeah, and so it's, it's just kind of interesting to listen to, from an insider perspective, because I mean, you really never know, or generally don't know, like what your store is going through. You know, if it's doing good, doing bad. Sometimes they'll tell you, but yeah, you never quite know what's going on behind the scenes. Plus, it's a very unique history of a of a store that was there for a long time. He talks about like you know, early days of uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, he missed early Magic the Gathering, but he was there for the start of Flames of War, stuff like that. So anyway. So just take a listen. Here you go. All right. With us is Mike Bobby from Bobby's Hobby House in Pensacola, Pensacola, Florida. Boy, I'm gonna have to edit out that little thing. That little and I thought Bobby there. was gonna be the hard one to pronounce. Yeah, I know. It's just messed me up. Um, which I've talked about on the show. Uh, wanted, wanting to wanting to get him on because it's this big historic uh, shop and it is recently closed. So um, tell us about the history of the shop, Mike. Well, we uh, we managed to keep going for 65 years. Uh, the shop itself actually goes back farther than that, and I'm not even sure how far. Uh, the history with my family starts in October 1954. Uh, my grandfather was retired out of the Navy on a medical discharge and was looking for something to occupy his time. Uh, apparently, he was doing leather crafting at the time, and he was going into this shop in Brownsville, suburb of Pensacola, and uh, Robbie Robertson, the fellow who owned it, uh, was in the Navy still and had gotten orders to transfer out and convinced my grandfather to buy the whole shop. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So he bought a hobby shop. <laughs> what, what did it carry at that time? Um, at the time, there was a little bit of some of the very preliminary radio control type stuff. Um you know, some of the balsa models, um, I think plastics were uh, were going at the time. There were some plastic models. 
Um, they apparently did Leathercraft. Uh, I think my grandmother added the art supplies. I think that was something that that we added on. But we've done so many different things over the years. Hmm. So what is your first memory of the shop? Uh, for me, it was, it was, of course, started long before I was around. Um, my first memory, uh, we got, we came back to Pensacola when I was about four and my first job at the shop was bagging beads. As soon as I could count, uh, I started being paid two cents a bag to bag beads, um, sit there and count out, okay, this bag gets 25 beads and we would sit there and slave away. And you were four? Uh, I was probably a little older than that, but okay. I'm not really sure. It was pretty young. Now, child yeah. labor laws don't apply to family. Yeah, <laughs> you, can, you can get away with a lot. <laughs> those uh, those early childhood memories, are uh, they, oh. they, they stick with you for sure. Absolutely. So. So was it like real? Were you like really cool in school to be the guy that you know you your family had the hobby shop, so you had all the cool toys, you know? At the, I think it's more so now. Uh, at the time, there was some of that, uh, but that wasn't the cool thing to do. Was to build models or do radio control or things like that. Um, there were stages in school where, where people were into that kind of thing. And then, then other, you know, when you got to middle school, high school, that was not the cool thing to do. So not necessarily. Did you, uh, did you have the kick-ass dioramas in school? Uh, you know, I, I hate that it wasn't until years later they had all the history projects. Oh yeah. Um, we didn't have those. Okay. Uh, I would have loved those. I had to find excuses. Like, uh, I did an English book report. I read Douglas Bader's autobiography and built a model of a Spitfire for my book report. Um, I had to look for excuses to do things like that. <laughs> That's cool, okay. though. Do you remember, like, um, like the rise of, like, Dungeons and Dragons? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of our, uh, my best, best employees over the years, um, Bob Davison, was, was an amazing man. Um he and my parents went to art school together uh, or st- took art classes together at, at Pensacola Junior College. And uh, Bob started working for us. He probably worked for us briefly in the 60s, but I know he was working for us in the 70s when D&D came out. And hmm. he was really into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the reason we started carrying it at the store. That was the first time we got into gaming. Uh, so 76, I believe, when the when the first thing came out. Um, Bob was always a miniature painter. And so the idea of, you know, all of these little miniature figurines coming out was wonderful. Um, but he actually had my, my parents over for a D and D game to kind of show them what it was all about. Uh, mm-hmm. my mom really got into it. She loved it. She thought it was great. My dad didn't have as much to do with magic and stuff. And he said, well, you know, I pull out a nuclear hand grenade. She says, well, you can't have a nuclear hand grenade. Well, she can have a magic sword. I can have a nuclear hand grenade. Huh. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things. It was it was a lot of fun. Did they have to deal with, like, the satanic panic at all, you know? Um, that, again, didn't hit for a couple of years. Uh, by the time that hit, we were mostly out of it. Um in those early days, uh, we, you know, we, we were really deeply into it. Um, we were one of the first places, I think, in the area to do so. Um, 
but by the probably early 80s, late late 70s, early 80s, it had gained enough popularity that gaming stores started opening up. Uh, Bob left us and went to work at a gaming store in town. Um, and it kind of started hitting everywhere. And it became a little too popular. I, I remember it as a kid for me uh, when everybody started basically cheating. Hmm. Uh, everybody started having these super high power, high level characters and, and indestructible people and munchkins. Uh, it just it really got away from the spirit of the game in a regard. And that was the first time we kind of started running into the the unfortunate unfortunate stereotype uh, smelly gamers. Oh. Um, and it, it just kind of sales were slacking off for a variety of reasons and we got out of it uh, Bob wasn't there anymore to push it and nobody else really knew it as well as he did so we kind of got it out, out of it for a time and that was I think during the period where, where you had all of the, the craziness with that so is it upsetting when an employee like quits and becomes the competition it's um, we've always had really good relationships with Bob. Uh, that was one of those. It was a, a great opportunity for him. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've had that over the years with employees or customers. Uh, most of the competition, heck, half the shops on the Gulf Coast started out as our customers. Oh, wow. Uh, they were, you know, pretty much everybody around because we've mm -hmm. been around so long, got their start in our store. So, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. Oh, I was uh, looking at this article from uh, the, what is it, the Pensacola News Journal, uh -huh. and there's a fellow by the name of uh, Brandenburg, is his yeah, last Will, name? Will and so, yeah. And so he was a customer, yep. but then opened another store. Yes. I mean, is that, I, I guess I would be a little perturbed, maybe, that... It's got that, its uh, moments. I mean, okay. it's got its moments. You know, like, like I said... Um, I understand the dream of having a hobby shop or a uh -huh. game store. Okay. Uh, yeah. and it's one of those things I, I can't fault anybody who has that dream and wants to do it. Um, it's unfortunate when it happens in your backyard and takes away from your customer mm. base. Uh, mm -hmm. That's, you know, that, that can't make you happy, but I can't fault him for what he's trying to do. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, do you remember... I don't know if you guys would have handled it, but do you remember the rise of Magic: The Gathering? We were actually out of the gaming at that point. Uh, we didn't we didn't have anything to do with it at that point. Uh, we were, like I said, in the gaming part, we were into it in the the late '70s when D and D first came out. Uh, up through probably about 1980, 81, um, somewhere in there, and then we actually didn't do gaming again for 25 years. Wow. Um, we were always strongest in plastic models, model railroads, radio control, art supplies, uh, craft supplies. Um, how we got back into gaming was when I first moved back to, to Pensacola, I had been out in Dallas for about 10 years. And I was moving back and coming back and taking over the store. Um, first thing I did was hire Bob back to come work for me again. Mm -hmm. And with him coming back, we were going to at least get into the, the miniature figurines. Um, so he took me to the game store in town at the time, which was Vic's Heroes. Uh, and I went in, and I, you know, I'd always been fascinated with little miniature figurines. And I walked in and saw 
he had a huge selection. He had this giant wall of all these wonderful little green packages of Reaper miniatures. I had not seen Reaper miniatures, which really irritated me because I had just moved back from Dallas where I was apparently about 10 minutes from Reaper miniatures. <laughs> all the time I was out there, I didn't even know they existed. Uh, mm -hmm. But I came back here and like unfortunately happens to most game stores, Big, Big Zero's closed down. Um, it's a, a tough business to make it in. And when he closed down, we were looking at, we wanted to uh, pick up some of the slack there. So I went to the Gamma trade show looking for miniature figurine lines. Um, Gamma didn't have much in the way of miniature figurine lines. There just wasn't much there. Reaper was about it. In fact, I'm not even sure that they had a display there at the time. Yep. I'm uh, sorry, what, what era was this? This was in about 2003. Okay. Something like that, 2002, mm -hmm. 2003. Mm -hmm. uh, but I went and I went and wandered around and, and talked to everybody in all the booths. And one of the wonderful thing about gaming trade shows is they all want to give you demo copies of their games. So I had to buy a new suitcase to haul back all of these demo copies <laughs> of games. Um, I came back and stuck them in a closet. Uh, we didn't do gaming. That wasn't our thing. And then one day my wife said, I want to play a game. I said, hey, I got a whole suitcase full. Okay, let's try out some of these. And uh, the game we absolutely fell in love with was Slugfest Games Kung Fu Fighting. It was a great little game that's unfortunately long out of print now. Um, and we had a really good time with it. And we had some friends over to play, and they really loved it. And they said, well, where can you get this? I said, huh. <laughs> well, I, I guess I'm going to have to start yeah. carrying games. Bobby's Hobby House. Yep. All right. <laughs> so we got into the games, and we started expanding it out from there. Um, we actually never got into Magic. <laughs> um, that was that was one of the things. There was enough other stores in town, and my goal was to not step on their feet. You know, again, there's, there's a limited market for any of this. Mm -hmm. My goal was to do the things they weren't doing well. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were doing more in the miniatures, doing more in the board games, because not many people were doing that. More in the historical board games, because not many people were doing that. Uh, for years, we were kind of an anti-game workshop store, because we didn't we didn't want to step on everybody else's toes doing that, and try and fight the battle against you know everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so we did the things that no one else did, um, and that was that went well for for a number of years. Oh. All right. What about like when board gaming got big? That board game renaissance started what about ten years ago or so? Yeah, we were we were luckily in on the rise of that. Uh, mm -hmm. That was about that time, that ten or fifteen years. Uh, I, I think the the peak of where that really took off was when Willie Wheaton's tabletop came on board, and uh, just tons and tons of people got into it, uh, and that was that was a great ride. That was a lot of fun. Is there so, is there oh. oh sorry no go ahead I was gonna say is there any uh game that really took off in your store but didn't really go anywhere else uh, we were we were really strong in Flames of War uh, that was something that we were we were a fairly early adapter on um, and again we had the historical market because we had all the modelers and and history buffs for the book selection and things like that that we had. Um, so it was a good crossover for us. 
and we had quite a lot of quite a lot of flames or players for a long time um that was that was very strong mm-hmm. I, I remember that i remember when it started out and um trying to get it going over here in mississippi and i remember hearing about you guys doing well i think i bought stuff from you at when we met at a coast con yep and um you know that that being such a uh, a big thing back then um I, I guess it's sort of growing in my area but not you know everybody is at least nationwide not everybody is kind of keen on the new edition so that is very true well, one of the things that I found really interesting in my travels, because I, I did shows from down in Orlando all the way out to uh, Dallas, Texas, and Houston, um, and was going to game conventions all over the place. And I found it really interesting, the regional differences. Uh, Flames of War, what that did, it was the first time that there was kind of a universally available popular historical war system. Um, you had in that stuff and there's still pockets of where things are popular uh like at the time in mississippi flames of war wasn't going to have a chance because the stronghold there was command decision um and you know when you've got such a following of that uh it's hard to get people to play something new uh that's you know everybody's got their favorite rule system um when you went down to south florida they were playing the two fat lardies uh ain't been shot mum uh that was a popular one down there um yeah you just find different areas there was always some flames of war players in each of those areas but it wasn't necessarily it depends on who your kind of alpha gamers are and what they're running yeah that is very true it is a lot of it i've said you know a uh, a shop owner can kind of set that tone too whenever he talks up a game or stocks it you know a lot of them you know depend on that I've seen a, I've seen a lot of them just like get in like say one game, and everybody buys into it, and eventually they buy everything they're ever going to buy, and you know it's that's when you should maybe push another game at this point, but they don't. They're like, oh, I don't play any other games. I only yeah. play this game. So, and yeah, that's that's one of those things that can happen. Um, then you you have, and it's harder in a historical game because. You know, a Sherman tank is a Sherman tank. It's, you know, you, you can't come up with the newest, hottest Sherman tank that's going to outdo all the others. Uh, where you have, like, in, in 40K, every couple of years they come out with some super-duper new thing that blows everything else away. So you have to have the new stuff or you aren't going to be competitive. That's true. Um, it's much harder to do in a historical game. Not to mention, once you buy a Sherman tank, you can use it in Flames of War, or you can use it in Command Decision, or you know anything as long as you're good with that scale. Exactly, exactly, and that that was one of the things that we loved about it, uh, and I always promoted one of the things that that in those early days when I was an anti games workshop store, uh, I used to to promote uh, if you play in a 40k tournament, you have to use their miniatures. If you play in a Flames of War tournament, well, you know, hey, a Sherman is a Sherman. If you use the Zvezda kit or the, you know, the, whatever toy you found that's the right scale, as long as it's the right size, hmm. go for it. That is mm-hmm. true. And they used, you know, that that Games Workshop line of thinking used to be back when they had official tournaments. And I was surprised even yesterday uh, encountering it in a store. Like, you know, a guy that's using this... Um, he was using a Lord of the Rings uh, elephant for a chaos um, 
uh, War Mammoth because the War Mammoth ha is either out of print or really expensive. And he's like, yeah, it's, it, it's an official Games Workshop model. I'm like, dude, nobody cares about that anymore. The the ITC is yeah. the is the only people doing tournaments, and they say you can you can do substitutes. No one cares. You don't have to do this yeah. anymore. But it, it has lightened up a lot, which is good. I think it's important. <laughs> so, what was the last year like for you? Uh, it's been it's been a bit of a downward spiral for a while. Um, when I was doing that interview for the, the newspaper, uh, the, the fellow who was doing the interview kind of brought up a, a point that I had not thought of. You were asking about the board gaming renaissance. Right. When that started off, uh, we had tons of business because we were one of the only places that had all these neat new board games nobody had ever heard of. Um, and we, we knew about the games. We could tell people about them, and it was great. Uh, so we had this huge boost in board gaming. And then board gaming got popular enough that everybody started carrying the board games. And then you had things like Target. Uh, Target, trying to compete with Amazon, went to all the game manufacturers and said, hey, make us an exclusive version of Catan, like Star Trek Catan. We'll help you get the license, but it's exclusive to us for a year. So when I found out Star Trek Catan, I was like, man, that's perfect for our audience. Oh, well, you can't get it. It's a Target exclusive. Oh. Mm. Uh, we kind of ran into this, you know, like I was talking about with Dungeons & Dragons at the 70s. When we first got into it, we're the only ones doing it. It's great. And then all of a sudden it gets popular enough, it starts showing up everywhere. Mm -hmm. And you kind of start losing that exclusivity or that, that uniqueness to what you're doing. Um, and there's so many different things over the years that have, that have gone through that. Um, you were talking about the kind of burnout level of I already own all the armies that I need. Uh, you definitely run into that in games. Uh, and we kind of were running into that in, in some stuff. Um, where Flames of War had been a really popular game for us, we kind of killed it with a early war escalation league. Early war is a frustrating time period to play. And the escalation league kind of had them playing the same game too much and getting frustrated with it. And all of our players kind of bailed out of Flames of War before the, the new edition even came out. Oh, man. Uh, they, they moved into playing Battle Group. And Battle Group, while well, it's a wonderful set of rules, as a retailer, it was kind of crummy because instead of needing a whole platoon of tanks, now you needed one. And you already had a whole platoon, so you didn't need any more. Mm -hmm. uh, so all the guys playing that already had pretty much everything they needed. Um, so you kind of had a, a drop in sales there. Um, again, when, when more new shops open up and start dividing up the audience, uh, that, that shrinks your bot. Uh, mm -hmm. you've got, you know, all of the different stores carrying things. You've got all of the online sales, you've got everything, everything else working against you. Uh, and sadly, in a lot of gaming is one of the few areas where there's young people doing it. All of the other areas are radio control, plastic models, smaller railroading. Those are all, sadly, kind of dying hobbies. Uh, young people don't do those anymore. Um, and the older generations are dying off, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, it kind of reminds me of bowling. You know, mm -hmm. bowling was really popular for quite a while, and then mm -hmm. it kind of took a lull. And I think it's kind of 
people are are maybe kind of starting to crave that that uh, that social aspect of of being out in the in society and you know bowling with people. So I think that these these trends of popularity and less popular, I think that kind of rides a wave of of um, just through the era of, of things become less popular and more popular as we go along. There's tricks to that though. Um, for us, for instance, a plastic modeler, the average plastic modeler was 35 plus. Mm-hmm. And there were people who had built models as a kid and they were coming back to it because, you know, we'd lose them when they got to about 16, they'd discover cars and girls and stuff <laughs> like that. We'd lose them for years. Uh, then they get married, have kids and they start thinking, man, you know, when I was a kid, I liked building models and, I think I want to do that again. And they mm-hmm. come in and there's all the nostalgia and the model companies are really riding on that, re-releasing old kits in the original packaging and all this kind of stuff, trying to, to get those people back. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the kids today aren't building them. And that's been the case for some time. So when they get to an age, they don't come back to it because they never did it. Oh. Bowling's going to be that same kind of thing where you have, there's an age of people who, remember bowling and that was a lot of fun hey let's go do that well now it's hard to find a bowling alley harder mm-hmm. uh, and then those young people who were around during the time that you know that wasn't going on they didn't do bowling so they aren't mm-hmm. going to come back to it because they didn't know it no yeah so is this kind of a race to the bottom as far as like um the online retail sales with amazon are are uh, uh, you know, friendly local game stores? Or are they just going to disappear eventually? It's really hard to say. Uh, okay. It's to me, it's getting harder and harder for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the online sales absolutely kills us. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, we're often competing with our suppliers, our manufacturers, and you can't compete with that because you know you're not going to be able to sell it cheaper than the guy who made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's absolutely killing pretty much all retail. Um, oh, yeah. You're talking about the the idea of people wanting to get back out and socialize. Sadly, there's not enough of that. Too many people are just playing on their phones or playing on their you know their home video system. Or I mean, now you don't even have to leave the house to go to McDonald's. They'll deliver it to you. Yeah. Why should yeah, anybody ever leave the house? Yeah. And now you have. You know, one of the one of the really intriguing things over the last year or two, we got into 3D printing, and 3D printing is is an amazing thing. Uh, it is so addictive and and just fantastic what you can do. But I can see a time where you won't go to the store and buy a model kit. Now you'll just download a file and print it on your computer. Mm. <laughs> As those become all, all of your modeling gets done done on a 3D uh, software. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. fact, one of one of my guys who did my my 3D printing was talking about a new printer that's just come out that prints not only in color, uh, or I think it's Hero Forge is actually doing uh, their custom figures. Oh yeah, that went crazy. The, oh yeah, it, it's a new Kickstarter. They're going to be doing painted pr- yeah. painted figures. Yeah, and that's that's amazing. Um, and again, yeah, we ran into that with when diecast models got to be the big thing. Uh, I know I couldn't build a car model for anything because I couldn't do a gloss paint job to save my life. Hmm. Uh, why bother when you could just go buy for the, about the same amount, buy a beautifully done model you mm-hmm. know, that's already ready to go, just put it on your shelf. Mm-hmm. We lose the whole craftsman aspect of things 
nobody has that satisfaction of having done it themselves anymore, but now you have a model better than you could probably have done yourself. Cheaper and easier. Yeah. Well, if you could have changed things, if you could go back in time five years, what what would you change? That's an interesting question. <laughs> was it was there a trend you missed or something you got too involved in that you would have rather skipped? Just yeah, something like that. No, not not that I can think of. I made I made all of the efforts I could in so many ways. Uh, but five years ago, about six years ago, was when we moved to our new store. Uh, we we've been in three locations in sixty five years. Uh, we were down in the original store in Brownsville from 1954 to 1982. Uh, at 82, we moved up to W Street, where we were for the next 32 years. And uh, six years ago, uh, I had the option of staying there. And unfortunately, that location was no longer working well because there was just nothing else around it. And the street had become a high-speed shortcut. So I moved it up to uh, a little shopping center, and I thought, you know, being right here by Harbor Freight Tools, this is going to be wonderful. All the guys going into Harbor Freight Tools are going to come over here and buy RC cars. And I'm going to, you know, it's RC stuff is going to go nuts. Mm -hmm. We had new people come in. And we did have more new people come in. But most of them kind of wandered in like, wow, what's a hobby shop? Huh, this is interesting. <laughs> I'll be back. Uh -huh. We uh, We constantly heard that. I'll be back. They may or may not have ever come back, but... Mm -hmm. It was it was an interesting try. Uh, it did not turn out like I hoped. Um, but yeah, at, at that point, things were already kind of on the downhill slide, and it's it's been coming for some time. It's just uh, changing times. Mm -hmm. So what's uh, what's next for you? Well, I, I'm having my midlife crisis. If I've gotten a real job, um, I'm working at Lowe's. Having a, having a good time working 40 hours a week instead of a whole lot more and uh, <laughs> uh -huh. actually getting benefits for the first time in my life. And I'm having weekends off for the first time in my life. I might even have time to build a model or, or go play a game or something. Oh, all right. So yeah. what are what are your hobbies? What do you do? I've done pretty much everything in the store at some point. Uh -huh. uh, okay. But the things that particular appeal to me, I'm, I'm a figure painter. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I enjoy doing miniature figurines. Um, I got into some of the wargaming partly just to paint the figures. Uh, but, you know, like I have a, a big Italian Flames of War army. Um, I've, I've done a lot of the different stuff. There's some board games I absolutely love uh, mm -hmm. that I'd like to, to play again. Um, I'm a Lego collector. I'm very serious Lego collector. I'm, I'm very into that and uh, mm -hmm. looking forward to having the time to sort some stuff out, work on some of that. Oh, sorting Legos is a, that's a full-time job right there. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, there was something I was going to ask you in that vein. Um, it. I had it and then I lost it. I should really write this stuff down. Um, oh, uh, I know you've got, you still have stock left. You're going to do I conventions. Didn't. You're doing, <laughs> eBay and, and stuff like that. Is there a way we can steer people to you? Are you interested in mail order or anything like that? Well, at the moment, the issue is accessibility to stuff. Um, it, it, down the line, once I've sorted stuff out, 
I may have some kind of standing item mail order type stuff. Uh, at the moment, it's pretty much going to be eBay or shows just because it's going to be, okay, which box did I find this week? Ah, mm -hmm. I got you. Yeah, right now, if you ask me for any particular thing, there is no telling where it is. It's <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. a, you know, I got a 10 by 20 warehouse that's 10 feet tall and it's packed to the gills. Um, and all the good stuff probably in the back on the bottom. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of taking a break for a little bit, trying to, to do some stuff around the house, get some of the honeydew list of things that I've, I've ignored for too long. Um, but I'll, I'll start getting some stuff on eBay here pretty quickly. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to going to the shows in a more relaxed manner. Um, like where I've, I've run gaming at Pensacon all six years that they've had it. Uh, because of all of this happening, I knew I was not going to be able to do it this year. Mm -hmm. And rather than, I want to see gaming succeed at Pensacon rather than have my little personal fiefdom up there. Um, so I, I passed it on. And this year, Tommy over at Gamers and Geeks is going to be running the gaming at Pensacon. Mm -hmm. uh, so I get to be a, I'm going to volunteer somewhere else. I'm going to be working over on the celebrity floor. Uh, I get to see a different side of the convention. Uh, so that'll be fun. Um, looking forward to going to Bayou Wars and maybe actually playing in some games and I'll, I'll have a table or something and sell some stuff off. But mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to, to being more of a participant than just a vendor. Yeah, on the on the the uh, on the outside of the industry. Yes. As a, as a consumer. <laughs> yeah, I do a little bit of that. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you said you're going to put some stuff on eBay coming up here fairly soon. Would you like to share your uh, eBay user? Sure. It's Bobby's Hobby, B-O-B-B-E-S-H-O-B-B-Y. Okay. Um, one of the, our standing lines right now is is the Easy Line. We've been selling that for years and years and years. It's a uh, an elastic material uh, that can be used for rigging airplanes. Uh, I've used it for bowstrings on archers. I actually strung a harp on a figure once. Um it's a neat little elastic line that, that'll stretch to 700% at size and snap right back. Super cozy. Mm -hmm. um, just fun stuff to work with. And I've been, I've had quite a mail order business of that over the years, selling all over the world. Uh, hmm. So that's right. the easy, that it's just the letters E, Z, line. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how most people, I think, find my store is, is they find the easy line. Okay. All right. Well, cool. Well, uh, thank you for taking the time out and talk to us. I know I'd, I've been trying to get you for a while. I know you've been busy, and yeah. So I look forward to seeing you at Bayou Wars or in the future and buying stuff for, for you when you get to the good stuff in the back. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot. All right, thank you very much, Mike. Good night. Right. And we're back with due, through the magic of editing. And I will say... Uh, Chris told me at AdamCon 44, which was an awesome convention, you should buy a t-shirt while well, you still can, um, <laughs> that Harold on War Games, his last podcast was just phenomenal because he interviewed a guy who has the largest game store in San Francisco. I don't know if any of you guys like listen to Harold regularly. Oh, yeah. Or, okay. yeah, I heard it. Mm-hmm. He said it was really, really interesting just hearing about uh, board games, uh, miniature games, and stuff like that. He specifically said 
he did not see a way to make money on miniature games. And uh, part of the reason why is too many SKUs to keep up with. So that's really interesting. And I'll, I'll have that linked in the show notes as well. Um, and hopefully I'll listen to it before the next um, uh, show. We can talk about it more. But yeah, were there anything, any particular things jump out at you, uh, Richard? From the Herald on, on Games interview? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it was, I don't know. It, I guess if you're an industry insider, you would be more interested in it. I, I didn't think it was one of his best, but I don't care that much about the inside business around uh, local game shop. So, you know me, I'm all I'm all gossipy, so I'm gonna be all over it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I understand it's no chance of gaming, but hey, this just, there can only be so much of that. So, so moving on to actual news, and the first thing we have is the I'm getting tanks for my awesome. Uh, droids for Legion, and I can't wait. The AAT Trade Federation Battle Tank. I'm excited. Are you excited? This looks I'm pretty not cool. Excited not I excited at all? Looking. I've always thought they were dumb looking. Oh, oh really? Cool. <laughs> right. This is the one, what, now what was the one uh, didn't like Jar Jar like hang off of the um, yeah. didn't he like, yeah, like his pants got caught on the, the turret and it caused the tank to wreck or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, the Battle of Naboo. Yeah. Maybe I'm just having bad flashbacks to everything Char Char when I see this (laughs) guy. So, when this thing comes out, yeah, I mean, we're we're that that much closer to getting, um, uh, what you call it, uh, Gungans. And this is supposed to come out first quarter of 2020, so we have, what, until April? I think so. And I guess it'll, yeah, come out. Probably, if it's not pushed back, it will uh, come out probably late April. So there you go. Yeah, so it looks like 170 points with nothing on it. Um, that's not too high. That's not crazy. I mean, that's still less than like an AT, uh, ATRT. I think uh, those are 210. Do either one of you guys have the uh, the Imperial tank? No. No. I don't have any vehicles at all. I've I got Tauntauns as close as I've got. Man, my local meta complains about Tauntauns like you would not believe. I don't <laughs> so know good. why. I, you know. Honestly, I think, well, I'll tell you why. They're going to get nerfed, I think. Because everything they do, they get an extra token. So, I mean, they get, they can, if you play them right, they can get like six actions in a round. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, because every time they move, they get a dodge token. And after they move, they can take a free attack. So you can't attack twice, but you could like, Move twice, get two dodge tokens, and attack. Hmm. So, yeah. Okay. But they're good. They're fun. Uh, the the next thing we have, continuing to talk about uh, Fantasy Flight, is um, Destiny is now gone away. Yep. It's over. And, you know, they've been talking, you know, for a while in the past month uh, about that about problems at either what is it is it fantasy flight or asthma day that's having some shakeups because i know they they're folding up fantasy flight they close their rpg division yeah they they're closing destiny um i mean they're they're obviously still supporting x-wing and legion and i guess armada as well but um i don't know did you have you guys ever played destiny there's a big contingent at my game store that plays it 
Yeah. Um, no, I have not. It's a it's a fun game. It's interesting, but my problem was I I just can't play a collectible game because I I I can't I can't gamble on stuff. You know, I can't go in and pay a hundred bucks hoping that I get the card that I want. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I I can go into Legion and I can buy exactly what I want to get, and I mean maybe it's sold out, but if it's available, I know what's in a box. With Destiny, it's I mean it's like Magic the Gathering or anything else, but I just I I can't get into a game like that. I it was hot for a minute, for a minute at my local store. Yeah. And um, it got it was like really hot, and then it, nobody was playing it. However, it was still flying out the door, and people were like, I. The local shop owner was like, I assume people are just playing, paying it, playing at home, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And then that, I still people still still see people playing it at miniature market all the time. So it's a popular game still. Um, I wonder what's going to happen to the remaining inventory. Obviously, they won't do any new stuff, but there's still stuff out there. You know what I didn't like about it? The dice. Oh, really? Yeah, I like it. I just I just thought that was weird, you know. It's like I can understand playing a card game, but um, yeah, I just didn't want to have that whole dice extra dice mechanic, whatever, you know. But eh. yeah, there you go. So uh, continuing along this, like we said, we we mentioned that uh, they they're folding up the RPG thing, which we had several big active groups for the Star Wars RPG. I don't know what's going to go on with that. Uh, And I actually ran into a guy uh, this past week that said, I'm not going to buy into Legion because until, until they've had the IP for years, because he said that IP changes hands too often. And I'm, I don't know so much about that, but whatever. It's just, yeah. Just old gamers getting paranoid. I mean, because mm. the only thing I, I remember, West End Games had it forever, forever, mm-hmm. ever, oh, yeah. ever. They put yeah. out so but, many books for the RPG. But FFG's had. I mean, the Star Wars RPG has been around what ten years, maybe more. It's I been around so. a while. It's I think it's been around for they anymore. didn't they haven't they rebooted it once? You know, and there it, didn't they do a second edition of it a couple of years well, ago. No, they, I mean they're they're RPG anyway. They've got they've got three lines in their core system. Well, had I guess they're closing them all down now. But there's there's uh there's basically like the there's the white, the black, and the red lines. So force the one is like scum and villainy type. One is the the actual soldiers and everything in the rebellion and the empire, and the other one is Jedi and Force users. So so they've got three lines, but. It's been out for quite a while. I'll bet it's been at least ten years. They did different uh, time periods too, because you can do. Uh, yeah, they did that as well. I know you could do like a time of rebellion yep. and. Yeah, and they released a, a starter kit when uh, when the Force Awakens came out as well. So they did do a new starter kit for that. So uh, I don't know. It's it's sad. Sad to see it go. Now, see, it does remind me, I don't understand why stores, and I guess I'm thinking more local store, not, well, brick and mortar stores more than uh, online stores. Why, when you 
read this announcement whenever it's posted, like, hey, we're folding up our RPG thing. Why do you not immediately just start discounting your remaining stock and just get it gone? I Well, I, I mean, it's still supply and demand, and I think actually a lot of people, I, I don't think a, a brick-and-mortar store is going to raise their prices, but a lot of people are trying to buy up stuff now because they're like, oh, crap, this is going to be gone, and I'm, I'm still playing this game, so I want to get this before it's not available anymore. I guess so. Now, I know, like... Um... My local store has War Machine Second Edition starters still on the shelf, and now, granted, they come from the guy that had owned the store before then. But I just don't understand, like, why? Yeah, why did you not clearance those yeah. out? Why are they not sitting on like a half price bin or whatever? It's so, a lot of them kind of get into uh, just this idea of, hey, um, you know, I'll just leave it up there, and if somebody wants it, they can come to me, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll make you a deal, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, anyway. So that guy that Harold on Games interviewed, that game store owner out in San Diego or wherever he is, uh, he actually did briefly talk about that. He talked about basically how long a, sh a game needs to sit on the shelf before they start lowering the price. And I think he said it was something like, if, if it's been there six months and it's not moving, then they'll start dropping the price. Hmm. Yeah, see, that makes sense to me. And he talked about, like, um, you the fact that you're losing money. If it sits there in your shop for, you know, X amount of days, months, whatever it is. And, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Like, to me, every store should have, like, a half-price bin or a sale table or whatever. I get annoyed whenever I travel into, you know, a, a new city, I seek out a shop, you know, I'm only here for like six hours or a day or whatever, and um, so I come in, I'm like, oh, okay, do you have any sales, or, you know, is there a sale bin, shelf, anything, and they get mad, you know, whatever, and I'm like, well, I'm not devaluing your thing, man, I'm just looking to impulse buy stuff. Because, I mean, if you have the same shit that my local store has, I'm going to buy it at my local store. So I'm just literally looking just to, to impulse buy. Or possibly, like, yo, do you have a used section? It's like where I can get, like, oh, this is, you know, Dragonlance D&D uh, &D Second Edition. I'll pick this up because I used to own it. That kind of thing. So, anyway. So the next thing we had was fantasy, uh, continuing with our Fantasy Flight Games theme. Um, they preview new operatives for Legion. And I was going to ask you guys, what do the operatives do? They're like mini leaders, sort of. Yeah, they usually don't give orders to others. They only give orders themselves, and they have some sort of special ability or whatever. So they're kind of like independent characters. You don't have to give them an order. They can activate themselves. Well, they have cards where they'll activate themselves, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, these new operatives that are coming uh, include uh, Padme, and uh, although without the bear midriff, and uh, some weird guy in a oh, hat. Oh, you just painted there, everybody. Cad Bane? It's some weird guy in a hat? Excuse yes. Me? Who's Cad this Bane? This guy may actually make me buy droids. I don't know I who that is. Cad Bane. Who's Cad Apparently Bane? Apparently you haven't seen Clone Wars. No, I did Cad not. Bane, he's, he's, a, he's a really good character from Clone Wars. He's a bounty hunter. Um, does some pretty amazing things. He, I think he was actually in on the plot 
where the emperor basically hired him to to kidnap himself to further the war and everything. But yeah, he's he's co- pretty cool character. I I'd like to see him on the table. Hmm. You think we'll get zero the hut? <laughs> As I see, I see him here. Kind of want him. I need to get around to getting Bosk. Uh, although for my rebels, everybody tells me to get Sabine. Yeah, she's good. Um, I mean, honestly, I guess it just depends on your play style. Like I said, I finally figured out an army that I really like, and I've got. I use Leia and Chewie, two Tauntauns, and six full sets of core troopers. Um, I don't have Luke or Sabine or any of those sort of frontline fighters. I'd rather have Leia in the back making everyone else better more of a battlefield commander that's just kind of the way i like to play it though like if i played empire i'd play veers or krennic rather than vader or the emperor or something hmm. yeah i, I kind of don't like the you know the the commander thing that's why i chose uh what's her name uh jen is oh, yeah. i'm not yeah. just not that big of a fan of uh special characters you know and yeah. when they first announced you know legion I was worried that, you know, it would be like Luke and Vader would just be gods on the battlefield. Like, it would just be them could kill, like, half your opponent's army. But, yeah, uh, I mean, it is kind of like that sometimes. It can be, but I was impressed by, like, uh, Luke died. I, in the first battle report I, I read, six stormtroopers killed him. Just shot him to pieces, and he died. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, the fact that that happens is really cool. That Or that's possible was really cool. So the last Fantasy Flight thing we have is Asmodee has updated its uh, parts replacement program. Essentially, um, it's stopping it, <laughs> sort of. Used to be, you could just write them and be... And this was really, really big in the early Legion stuff. And sadly, like I still have a um, Snowspeeder that has an incorrect thing, and... Um, so you could contact them and be like, hey, you sent me the wrong thing here. Can I get another one? And they would. They would send it to you. Now they want you to return it to the store where you originally purchased it. Yeah, your friendly local gaming store is going to love this. And who will then have to turn around and request a replacement copy of the game. Or their yeah, distributor. terrible. So what it would be like for my local store, they would have to replace, request a replacement from Alliance, their distributor, who would then turn around and repl- you know, request a replacement from Asmodee. So beyond the fact that it's going to annoy the piss out of them, and it's like another person like I have to chase, you could conceivably be, you know, have to keep calling, hey, have you, have you contacted them? What did they say? When are they sending it? You know, Luke really needs his lightsaber. But, uh, yeah, be- I mean, beyond that, it's how long is it going to take? when it's literally, it goes to my local store, to my distributor, to Asmodee. So, yeah. I would, I would presume that the your FLGS is just going to, like, exchange it for you, and then they're going to do what the waiting game. Ah, uh, that is true. You would hope, but I guess, you know, it may not necessarily be that way. You know, maybe, you know, you don't have a good one, and they're like, well, you know, I don't want to take this off my shelf. Because mm-hmm. when am I going to get reimbursed for it? You know, right? And, yeah, I don't know. I just think this is bad all around. It's a stupid uh, policy trying to just save literally pennies. You know, it's it's not worth it. But whatever, they didn't ask yeah. me. 
and and saving pennies for something that's their fault. That's true. That is very mm-hmm. true. It's like, uh, I mean, come on, were people really like ripping them off by saying, no, 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 I didn't get, I opened my Luke Skywalker and there was nothing in there. Nothing. Not a single thing. Okay. So, yeah, just air. And the air smelled <laughs> bad. It made me sick. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Smells like rancor breath. Yes. But, anyway. The next thing we had was Avalanche Press has put out a Panzer Grenadier online play webpage. So you can actually get over here and this will show you like what you need to do to, to play it on Vassal. If you're not familiar with Panzer Grenadier, uh, this is... I mean, I don't know what you call these games. I hesitate to call them ASL clones, so because I'm sure that makes them mad. But uh, they're, I'm sure they're listening to this. But Panzer Grenadier was the first game I ever saw that was like Advanced Squad Leader. And I actually bought it. I think Eastern Front was the first one I bought. And, of course, you know, you know me. And it's like I need someone to show me how to play a stupid game because I'm a baby, I guess. I don't know. And so I never played it, but I owned it forever. And I recently, in a sale, bought another one of the starters for this, uh, Eisenborn Ridge. Because basically, I just I eventually want to be able to play them all and be able to say, well, I played all these games that were like Advanced Squad Leader, and this is what I think. So I will say Panzer Grenadier also has a shitload of expansions, currently 65 you know, so they're kind of way up there, like um, Advanced Squad Leader. Uh, they've been out a long time. But I'll also say Avalanche Press has a pretty shitty reputation. <laughs> they do. They have a really shitty reputation for, like, if you have an issue, a problem, or whatever, it's like they'll take nine months to answer an email if you get answered at all. You know, that, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a thing. I can't tell you how many sales they've had that they're like, this is the last time we'll ever do a sale this good. You know, and I'm like, well, I think this is the sixth one I've seen, but whatever. So, yeah. But the, it does, Panzer Grenadier does have a really good, really nice, friendly player base. And uh, there's actually some in Alabama, close by me, that I was hoping would come over to Dallas and I would try to get in a game. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. It's You can play this on Vassal here. And uh, this will be linked in the show notes, show you all how to do it, and uh, there you go. I tell you, I'm looking for the uh, for a game that actually just embraces Tabletop Simulator, that just skips Vassal completely. Like, no, 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 we're going where all the cool kids are going. We're going to Tabletop Simulator, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I play a few on Tabletop Simulator. Since my daughter, uh, you know, she... She's at, at college now, so um, we've been playing somewhat regularly. We play uh, we play Star Wars Legion. Uh, there's a couple other games we've played on Tabletop Simulator before. Some of the scripted modules are really good. Well, um, I yeah, I really need to do that. I, I need to look at it more because uh, the way you talk about like X-wing and Legion being on there, and you make it sound yeah. really good until it crashes, you know, and you have to reset everything. But yeah. You know. I mean, it was frustrating, but I, the last <clears throat> the last time we got through a whole game without any problems, so. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to, I don't know if you guys follow uh, old school role-playing or old school renaissance, whatever it's called. Uh, in the past, 
couple weeks, there was a, a thing with the company Judges Guild. So what is the Judges Guild? Judges Guild is an IP. They made stuff for, uh, I know, Dungeon Crawl Classics. Oh, okay. You know, uh, among other things, it's there were they were kind of this this old school role playing kind of thing, and um, anyway, it it became one of those things that you would think in the year twenty twenty people would know better by now, and that is like if you represent a company, or you really shouldn't or can't actually take. Uh, political views, especially extreme political views. And what this is, is the Judges Guild is owned by a guy uh, named Robert Bledsaw II. And he was the son of one of the founders of the company. Anyway, people that were friends with him on Facebook, you know, that's where all this happens, uh, saw him post some pretty crazy stuff. Now, it's one thing to be very pro-Trump and whatever, to, like, you know, on the libs or whatever. It's a whole other thing to be, like, incredibly racist, like this guy was. Um, ver you know, talking about Jewish people, talking about black people, all this stuff. It's, it's really, really racist. And so people started calling him out on it, and then he just doubled down on it, which caused a lot of companies, including... Um, who is it that has done to crawl club? Goodman Games to um, actually issue statements that were like, "Hey, look, we don't we don't follow the we don't believe what this guy's saying, and uh, we are severing all whatever with him. We're no longer going to carry his products, and you know all this good stuff. And yeah, so there you go. I'm just you know you know how we talk about industry gossip here. So this happened, and uh, yeah. So there you go. I hadn't heard about that at all. I know. That's why you got to come to Chance of Gaming. It's That's the right. place for industry, industry gossip. So the next thing we have is Wizards of the Coast announces a sci-fi video game with ex-Bioware developers. I am excited about this because it's also going to be an original IP, so maybe a... We'll get uh, D and D's version of uh, what is a uh, Starfinder, maybe. You know, maybe a D and D science fiction game. But I mean, because Bioware did Knights of the Old Republic, they did Dragon Age Origins, Mass Effect, my personal favorite. Um, they did Anthem, and of course they did Baldur's Gate one and two, Neverwinter Nights. You know, all this stuff. So at the very least, it's going to be a really good game. Probably, but uh, I'm kind of excited for a if it turns into a sci-fi um, IP for Wizards. You know, of course, I'm also would love it if somebody would bring back uh, Spelljammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I when I was a kid, I'm like Space I, Hamsters. I know I, I never played it, but you know, just seeing it on uh, the shelf, I was fascinated just by that concept of let's do science fiction with fantasy. You know, it's oh, like yeah. I have a starship, but it's not powered by like a warp core. It's powered by, you know, magic bullshit. Magic. So, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I really, really dug that. And so, I mean, you basically, I say basically, but I don't know that much about it. 
that's what Starfinder is. I know you have magic in it, but it's all, and you also have like the uh, orcs and goblins and shit, but it's also in space. I don't know. I do know you can play uh, Starfinder with your Alexa because we talked about that on the show. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll just ask Alexa whenever I'm done here, if if that works. But anyway, moving on. Brotherwise Games will release the Stormlight Archive based on the Brandon Sanderson fantasy series. It will use the Call to Adventure game system. So this is a board game coming out, and I'm not familiar with the Call to Adventure system. And this will come out uh, June 24, 2020. I tossed this on here because I was curious if you guys read the Stormlight Archive. No, I have not. not. My wife is a huge fan of his, so I'm I'm not sure if she's read that one or not, but she's a big fan of Brandon Sanderson. Now, is he the guy that had to finish the Wheel of Time? Yes. Okay. I think so. Yeah, so I think that's kind of like where he got his start was, well, I mean, I say that, you know, he was, I guess, known, but not as known. And, and of course, you know, I could be putting my foot in my mouth, but that uh, it's... After he did Wheel of Time, he definitely, I noticed him more and started putting out different, you know, series and whatnot. But um, I listened to the audiobook for the first one. And the reason why I did was, I was like, I wanted a fantasy series that didn't have a lot of um, not, uh, books in it and was just about done. So I mistakenly started with the Stormlight Archive because I think it, yeah. it, 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 I think he said it's going to finish in three to six more books or whatever, and yeah, they hadn't put out one in a long time. So anyway, it's to me it's a really interesting world, and I'm not going to do a, uh, a shitty job of trying to describe it. I'll link a thing in the show notes, but uh, yeah, I just I dug it for a fantasy novel, and thought it was <laughs> neat, and uh, yeah, so. Not really interested in that board game, no. But I might be interested, like, if there was an RPG book I could buy. But there you go. The next thing we have is Restoration Games is reporting that no game manufacturers in China are permitted to be open and working at this time. Dun, dun, dun. It's the coronavirus. It's now affecting board games. I did see on Reddit where somebody was uh, that uh, my friend wants to know subreddit if he bought his uh, if some dental floss he got direct from China was safe to use. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, shit. Uh, I, I I honestly couldn't tell you uh, for well, that. There's not any virus in there, but it is full of asbestos. <laughs> yes, it's yeah, it's absolutely it's made completely with lead and asbestos is what yep. is what it's made out of. It will clean your teeth, but kill you. Uh, I mean, this is a like a really good point. It, with the with an outbreak like this, fucking everything comes from China, you know mm-hmm. now everything. Mm-hmm. So, what you know, what would that mean for just like the economy and stuff? Would it, if it was like literally just killing people, just dropping dead horribly, you know, their their heads are exploding or something, we would just stop buying anything, you know. And the economy would crash. I mean, I guess you would buy, like, your food that was at least local-ish, you know, if it was grown in Mexico or the U.S. or whatever. But, yeah, we wouldn't be certainly buying toys, board games, anything like that that would come over from there. 
So, uh, yeah, because, I mean, damn, everything is manufactured over there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have read where, like, it's affecting, like, uh, various Kickstarters and, and stuff like that, so... I do have a Kickstarter that's arriving soon, my Oak and Iron one, so, I mean, I could open it up and just be hit <laughs> right in the face with some coronavirus. <laughs> just didn't know. Mm. Just happened. Just bam. I don't know what to do with that, so... Mm. I don't know. So, you gotta think about that whenever you go to get a game. It's like, how long has this been on the shelf? Is it safe? Maybe not. So, uh, what is this uh, Villainous Marvel Oh, so uh, villainous. There was the Disney version that came out, and so there's it's all the Disney villains. So there's like King John or Prince John from Robin Hood. We talked about there's, him earlier. We did, yes. Uh, Ursula from The Little Mermaid. All the various villains in the Disney cartoons. Well, so now since Marvel is owned by Disney, they're now going to release Marvel villainous. So I'm 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 pining for the day where you can have Ultron versus Ursula in a head-to-head matchup of uh, of Disney-owned villains. So anyway, yes, Marvel Villainous is coming out. Hmm. So Villainous is a little card game where, yeah, you pit villains against each other. So did you like it? I do, yeah. It's been a while since I played it, but... And I presume it'll be compatible between uh, the Marvel universe in the disney cartoons <laughs> hopefully yeah because i mean uh we have seen that with some other stuff like with you know you can do harry potter and the golden girls with the you know what you call it mm-hmm. uh so yeah i'm sure the uh the dice masters game you can play different genres together i think can't you yeah that sounds right um usually stuff like that will anything you can get like multiple ips in with so uh wrapping up the show i can't believe i forgot you know we we talked about you know altered dementia the sponsor and all that stuff but we have a gofundme this is the the one time out of year that i ask for uh help in for domain and hosting costs and yeah so it's up there we have 70 dollars raised and what i'm shooting for is 250 dollars. so you'll see me post it on twitter or post it on the um uh, the Facebook page that we hardly ever use, although people occasionally message me on, which is really different, but uh, yeah, mm. I mean, that's what it's for. It just surprises me. So, uh, yeah, there you go. It's, uh, we're, we just want a few shekels for pennies a day, pennies a day. You can help out, uh, a podcaster the good for the price of a cup of coffee a day. You can, um, yeah, help with the what was it FOP? What was FOP? The Federation of Podcasters? Fellowship. Fellowship of Podcasters, yeah. Yes. You yep. can help us out. Keep us on the air. If you really like us, it'd be nice. So, there mm. you go. So, I guess that's it for the show. We're glad that you listen, and we hope you continue to listen. You can always drop us a line at chanceofgaming at gmail, or find us, like I said, on Facebook or Twitter, and uh, yeah, there you go. So, good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.